This is Han Solo, and you're listening to Octo Radio, a Star Wars podcast. I don't know. Fly casual. What is going on, everyone? And welcome to a brand new episode of Octo Radio, a Star Wars podcast. This is, I believe... Episode 101 of the numbered installments. I think there's like 170 in total, but I'm really annoying. I'm kind of like a studio executive. I'm like, this is a standalone. This is sequentially part of the actual run. It's very arbitrary. It makes me feel like I'm doing more organization than I actually am. Just go with it. But today... We are going to be discussing the much-anticipated mini-series of Star Wars shorts entitled Tales of the Jedi. It is a Dave Filoni production, but you also have directors Nathaniel Villanueva, Saul Ruiz, Charles Murray, and then Dave has written on all of them except for one, which was co-written. That's episode three, Choices, by Charles Murray and Elon Murray. So I could not talk about this alone. Lots of Jedi, lots of friends, lots of traders within those groups of friends, although hopefully there are no traders here this evening. <laughs> I've reached out to two of my favorite people in the entire Star Wars space. You know them from their collaborative work on Pink Milk, as well as from the That Gay Jedi channel. They are my dad, Brian Barry, <laughs> and my undefined family relationship, probably a sibling, Chase Houser. <laughs> Hello, hello, hello. Thank you. Forty twinsies. I know. Chase not the, the hello, hello. Luke. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, well, yeah. You guys, you, you both have already like established so many different dynamics. Are you are you ma- a master and apprentice? Are you more of a of a Han Chewie situation? I remains to be seen. Oh. I think it depends on the day. Who learns from who? Because sometimes Brian, you're oh. learning a lot from from Chase as well. Oh. Okay, IRL, I've learned more from Chase than they've probably learned from me, in all seriousness. One of my favorite people, I thought I liked Chase, but we've been very open about this. I think mm. Chase and I like each other even more than we thought we would in real life oh, after yes. this mm. celebration together. Like, yeah. we liked each other. We knew that. Mm. Like, I was like, oh my god, we're the same person. And yep. um, yeah. I just don't quite have their cheekbones or that <laughs> smooth 20-something skin anymore. <laughs> That's what it is. I would want to say um, master and apprentice situation, but master and the gay community puts a really weird context on There's it. There's a twist. I, yeah, that like mm. I don't need anyone to put that together. So we're going to say um, you know what? Not even a Han and Chewie. It's it's Let's like go with a 3PO and an R2. We love that. I love that. Droid <laughs> companions. We are droid yeah. companions. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, Exactly. Droid, compa- <laughs> droid companions are the most open and free and dependable and often adorable. I think that that applies. That applies beautifully. And, you know, frankly, I agree. Also, we're going to talk about Chase like they're not there for a second. They have such a <laughs> presence, like a welcoming presence that when you meet them, especially like at a Star Wars celebration, it really did sort of bring that energy together. Mm-hmm. And I was friends with both of you before that. But I remember meeting you on the floor on that Thursday and just seeing your physical forms and it was just this wild moment and since then i mean we we've worked together before you've been on the show both of you as well as am over on pink milk and the the entire uh community has been so great and we went back to back at star Wars celebration on the podcast stage and we've uh just had a great great relationship since then so i'm so excited to talk to you today about tales of the jedi on a bunch of different levels on the level of 
the episodes themselves, on the entire sort of overarching story, on the real world implications, on the things that are being discussed in terms of queer representation, queer erasure, uh, by POC representation and erasure, adaptation, changes, the real world, the in world. All of it is one conversation. And before we get into any of that, which will happen later during the Ahsoka section primarily, I want to just sort of throw out this A, recommendation, and B, disclaimer. A, Go watch Chase's video on the That Gay Jedi YouTube channel, um, mm. which dissected this beautifully. That'll be linked down below. And B, you. of course, of course. No, you, you absolutely nailed it. And you always do great work over there. And Thank then you. B, this is not a, a an indictment. This is not accusatory. This is not angry. Anything that gets said, I think I speak for the group pretty comfortably when I say like, if you're listening to this and you're still unpacking and processing and trying to figure things out, that's valid. And mm -hmm. nobody is saying that you are X if you think Y about yeah. any of these situations. However, B2, point B2 is that this show very firmly stands with the LGBTQA plus community, with the trans community, with the communities of color out there and within our Star Wars world and outside of it. And that's not up for debate. And this all this is all very political and very socially relevant. And that's not up for debate either. And so if that's not your jam, feel free to not listen. And uh, <laughs> I, I'm comfortable with that. And uh, I sleep soundly knowing that people who don't get it don't like what I do or what I have to say or what Star Wars does or what Star Wars has to say. And I think Pink Milk largely agrees. You've had your very, you've had your fair share of moments of saying, "There's the door," uh, and mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's a line in the sand thing, much like we've talked about with Blackout. Uh, Blackout Star Wars Eclipse, that is. I say Blackout like everybody knows what it is, but if you don't, that's actually still linked, I think, below. More on that. Um, and just different issues that have happened because it is, uh, it's a give and take. It's a real world thing. And sometimes people can have victories, which I think we'll talk about in terms of the Dave thing, and failures, which we'll talk about in terms of the Dave thing. Nobody is a, nobody is a binary as a creative or as an ally. I've seen, you know, we or all as like- a person. Or as a person. <laughs> or as a person. Yeah. And we've all seen uh, creative and friends, I think, do things where we're like, yes, and then do things where we're like, hmm, didn't land that one, didn't land mm -hmm. it. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that that's an, accepting fallibility is important. And I think we're uncomfortable with a lot of that. And nowadays, you see that with musicians. Am I a bad person for liking a certain song because this person did this? And everyone finds their own answer to that. And so, yeah, our politics are clear. Star Wars politics are very clear. If you had any questions about how clear, go watch Andor. But outside of that, uh, we're going to talk about tales right now. So, friends... Let's talk about our general impressions of the show and sort of thoughts going into this. All three of us were at Celebration uh, during the unveiling of this. It had kind of been out there that there was going to be a show called Tales. We didn't really know what it was going to be at the time. Going into this, though, we had the pieces of information. We had a trailer. We had a teaser. You know it's Ahsoka. You know it's Dooku. How are you feeling sort of about this pairing going into it? And what do you feel overall when it's all said and done, particularly as to massive fans of Ahsoka Tano and the, the animated side overall. Chase, you start, my friend. You start. Well, first and foremost, I also want to say, I know we're going to get into it later, but I think like in terms of like processing anything and like and like where people are processing i'm still processing too you know like specifically like the the you know the i don't want to really call it alleged but the 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 
decision maybe not to have specific kinds of inclusion representation that have previously been established. But, you know, I'm still uh, um, processing it too. And I just wanted to speak on that because I think that's also something that hasn't been, that's been like the th- furthest thing from normalized is is time to process, right? Like everyone wants an mm-hmm. answer on like where people stand with something right away um, when okay. many situations have been like diluted of any um, nuance there on top of that, there's also like, we're going to take all the nuance out of it. And we're also going to make everyone have a stance on it. So I just want to encourage everyone, like if you're processing, continue to process, take as long as you want to process, just like, re- you know, do your research and do your homework and and all that kind of stuff. Um, But the show, the show, honestly, it's it has aged really well for me over the past or over the time that it has been out. Um, Overall, I was a little bit disappointed, mostly because I think just I didn't expect it to be so dark tonally and just so intense. And, and mm. I don't mean dark. I mean, it's not. It's just I think what it was is I think just watching Andor, which is so amazing, and so intense. I expected to go watch Tales of the Jedi and have a little bit of like a breath. You know what I mean? Mm. Some Star Wars content that led up maybe a little bit emotionally um, and energetically. But this did not do that. So it's a sleigh, but I think it just took me a while to get used to that. And as I revisited the stories, I've, I've, you know, I'm not coming from that place of looking for that in my Star Wars media right now. So mm. that's great. Um, so it's aged really well for me. And yeah, I guess this is like my, my overall, like just opening thoughts. I think that the, I mean, you asked kind of about the two characters. I think that the characters that were chosen were right on point for me. I think I didn't, didn't know how much I missed Ahsoka in animated form. And I didn't know that I could care for Dooku, <laughs> period. <laughs> like I I, <laughs> I never all. read, I never read, I never read his book. You know, I, I, so he's always just been kind of like this like creepy, not very nice man. So for me to kind of get more nuance to him was, has been really, really exciting as a Star Wars fan. Yeah. Yeah. And before I throw it over to you, Brian, I, I do want to touch on that point where I think it's important sometimes. I've said it a lot. I've I've beat this drum into oblivion. The idea that you judge something for what it is, not what it's not. Right. Which we all know. And good faith, we all know this. However, there is still that personal hill to climb sometimes when you are like, this is going to be my rousing, feel good thing. And then it's not that I think a good critic and a good pundit and a good analyst and a good commentator will take that moment tying in again with the idea of giving yourself time to process and saying, oh, it wasn't that. Okay, let me take a beat. Now let me take it on its terms. You have to just take a thing mm-hmm. and then analyze actually like what it's doing. So throwing it over to you, Brian, mm-hmm. overall thoughts heading into this, coming out of it, what are the sort of the the overall feelings? Uh, and also you can also throw in the idea that you also have little Padawans of your own who are watching this, which maybe is more their speed than something like Andor. I do. Um, I want to just say one quick thing too about process that I think as the token dad here and the older person um which always makes me feel like a dad i i i hope people understand you're allowed to change too Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. as you're processing you can start at one spot and you can end somewhere different and that's okay you can get more information you can grow and it's okay just if you tweeted it out two weeks ago and you feel differently that's fine Mm -hmm. if you're reading someone's twitter that last week they said this and I was saying that that's fine that doesn't make them lying it doesn't that's a natural healthy healthy thing to do and um online there's no room for growth or change if you've said it once it seems to be like I have to double down on this forever and mm-hmm. I think that's a very unhealthy unhealthy approach to just about anything um as far as the show goes I 
was really stressed out. Lucasfilm, please don't ever put two things out at the same time again. <laughs> Even if it's just for me, I'm normally like Star Wars is for everyone. But in this moment, Star Wars is just for Brian Barry. Okay, I'm going to make that very clear. Please don't ever do it again. It was talk about privileged problems. Mm-hmm. I recognize this, but oh my God, was I stressed out. I was stressed out because I didn't want to watch Andor. I, Star Wars animation is my favorite of all Star Wars. I love animated Star Wars. Couldn't wait. And I had to watch Andor because we have a live stream. So I had to talk about Andor. Anyways, I was very excited about the idea of two Jedi that left the order in two very different ways. Mm. I was, I could not wait for that story. I could not wait for animated Ahsoka because I'm in a very... I'm processing live action Ahsoka. I don't know where I'm sitting with that yet. So I was really excited to go back to the Ahsoka that I know and love and see Mm -hmm. something new because I feel like every time we've seen Ahsoka, we got something new. When I left, I honestly left very disappointed. I love Dooku. I love that whole storyline. And Ahsoka, we will get more into this. I feel like I learned nothing new about the character. Nothing changed for me. And we didn't really discuss from my perspective, which I hope maybe by the end of this conversation, I will feel differently. But Mm. what I was given on screen, there was no reason for her to be partnered with Dooku Mm. because we didn't explore her leaving the order or why. That's interesting. That's really really on on that level uh, of the parallel that we all thought. And they never said that's what we were getting. We just were told we we're getting two tales of two different Jedi. So we brought in this, oh my God, these are two characters that left. We were really excited about that. But regardless, we got nothing new from Ahsoka. We knew everything that we learned from her already. It's an interesting point. Well, before I, before I jump in, that said, how have you been feeling in the days since? Are they sitting with you differently? Chase spoke to the, we use the phrase aged. Yeah. It's been a matter of days. <laughs> um, so yeah. a, a, obviously a year from now, if there's more, if there's not, when it sits, we'll give our, we'll, we'll regroup maybe. But <laughs> as you've sat with it, as you've yeah. spoken about it with friends, with your sons, with just anyone online, has it stayed at a disappointment or are, or are you sort of like, I, I like the Dooku ones more? Yeah. Maybe. Honestly, as time goes on, Dooku gets better and better and Ahsoka gets worse and worse, which is really, really unfortunate because I love Ahsoka Tano yeah. so much. I fell in love with Ahsoka Tano back in 2007 or eight, whenever that little snippy girl walked down the steps and I've been her number one fan ever since. And so it's not bad, but they were fine. Yeah. And Ahsoka is too good for fine. There's an interesting, in yeah. There's an interesting disconnect I think nowadays between uh, disappointment and bad, or between that was good, that was fine, yeah. that was well made, that was, yeah. um, you know, you ask George Lucas what he thinks of the Last Jedi. His only comment on it that he's ever given: it was beautifully made. That's not an opinion on story. That's <laughs> not, and that's not an opinion positively or negatively on anything. And I think we can all agree. Start up top. These writers, these directors, Dave, the whole animation department, this is some of their most gorgeous and dynamic and moody and stunning and everything that they, every advancement that they made from Clone Wars proper to Rebels to Resistance to Clone Wars Season 7 to Bad Batch, now to Tales, that journey has been unbelievable. I mean, the the mists and the fogs and the flames and the leaves. The leaves, my the goodness. Leaves. The yeah. leaves. The, and the music, too. I mean, I'm, oh, the, the, yeah. yeah. The Kiners insane. are yeah. <laughs> unreal, unreal artists. So, yeah, yep. I, I think that that's an interesting thing. Uh, talking about sort of the selection of them up top before we get into Dooku to start is interesting because is it fair to say, as two big Ahsoka fans, and this is something that I was theorizing about, because I feel like going into this, it was 
Dooku dominated the conversation going into this. And I almost feel like that's because Ahsoka Tano, shocking as it may be, because we still think of her as, I think, collectively as a fandom, as like this precious, young, new thing. But she's a standard now. And I think that we like she is in as much Star Wars as 3PO or Chewie. She's in more Star Wars than like Lando or Qui-Gon. Like, so she's in this place now where has Ahsoka Tano just become a classic Star Wars character? And now, therefore, she felt like the opening act for something that was more fresh. Is that you think maybe a part of the processing issue, not issue, but processing process that's a thing that might be happening. <laughs> I think that's exactly why it's disappointing. I think she is a legacy character. And if you're going to bring a legacy character back, then there needs to be a purpose. And mm-hmm. honestly, it felt like to me, and again, no tea, no shade. I understand. Like, but my my feelings were, well, this is our first venture back to Star Wars animation in a hot minute. We're talking about Jedi and animated. Of course, we have to bring back Ahsoka. And she was the easiest poll, and that's why they picked her. It on, I'm so, like, I, y'all listening, I love Ahsoka, and this breaks my heart to say this because I like love her but so I, much. It's really, I don't even think you're really saying hard, anything like, bad, though. You're not saying anything bad. Right. You feel bad for saying it because it's personal. Yeah. But yeah. what you are saying are th- these yeah. are not scathing, laser eye, red, yeah. you know, angry in your car yeah. criticisms. Like these, yeah. this is you just saying, I thought there was going to be more bang for somebody. What you're yeah. describing to me is when you hit up a friend you haven't seen in a few years and you get dinner and the conversation is kind of dull. Yep. Ooh, oh, that. that's 100% like the what best it was. way I've ever heard that. But that yep. pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> that, which is not an indictment of the food, of the person. It doesn't change yep. the relationship for the worse. Nothing bad happened. But you are just like, oh. Meanwhile, mm. Dooku seems like that person who walked into the restaurant while you were eating and you were like, they've got an interesting story. Like, that's sort of the energy that I'm getting from what you're saying. Yes. For me, I would probably phrase it as, I did not know a Silver Daddy was on the menu this evening, but Silver Daddy is here. <laughs> Look, the, the young Dooku... It's not Dooku, just on the menu, it is a buffet. <laughs> the young Dooku, the young Christopher Lee model that they did, both yeah. clean-shaven and bearded, first of all, they gave him a face that makes sense physically and and in terms of physics and proportions which bless uh we should special edition all of clone wars to fix i love his banking plan head with the big old nose yeah triangle beard and everything (laughs) yeah it's hilarious to see them sort of find the middle there but yeah i I think it's an interesting thing and chase why don't you speak to this and then we'll get into Dooku. this idea that ahsoka maybe that these shorts were more they feel more let's enhance like that middle one absolutely enhances the siege that's it that's functionally what it is let's enhance i think her entire connection seeing the story of her mother and everything that happens but but they're not new beats in fact one of them is the repeated beat and is the center of course of controversy so how do you feel about her place as almost being like oh is ahsoka not shiny and new anymore um, I think you bring up a really, really good point about like she has she's she is like a mainstay now. And we and so she does sort of like Duku over Duku overshadows her in the way that he's newer and shinier toy to be playing with in this, you know, in this intimate of a way. Mm-hmm. But I also I and, and I also think that goes for like I think I think I will speak for myself. I definitely look at Ahsoka way too closely. And I think it's because she feels so personal. And so I look at everything she does super closely, which makes me very, very um, 
critical. And that's something like mm-hmm. I'm aware of when I'm consuming any Ahsoka content. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also make and because I'm so on high alert about it, and I'm speaking for myself, but I'm also speaking for, I think, probably a large part of Star Wars fandom and the way that we engage with Ahsoka stories. And that's mm-hmm. why I love your point about that, um, Alden. But I, 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 it's interesting because I also do, I do feel like we do get other Ahsoka stories that are much more exciting and like that work better for me, I'll just say. But I think yeah. what this does do really well and that Brian, I think if you like, what are, Brian and I do this all the time. If one person doesn't like the Star Wars, we tell the other person, look for this. And I think you'll like it a little bit more. <laughs> and I love it. Mm-hmm. But I mm-hmm. think that one thing it does really well in the show is it, it, it does a really good job of allowing Ahsoka to serve as like a connective tissue to the lineage that is Dooku and Qui-Gon and mm-hmm. Obi-Wan and, and Anakin mm-hmm. and Ahsoka. And mm-hmm. I think that is why ultimately her stories, like they absolutely fell flat for me in the beginning, like, you know, when I first watched it, but as it, again, as I've spent some time away from it and then revisited it, I'm like, you know what? I kind of like that she is the person here because yeah, they both leave and they both leave for like different reasons, but like it just sh- serves to show like, it is like the great, great grandpa and like the baby, baby, baby granddaughter. Do you know what I mean? Like of this sort of like disaster lineage. Yeah. yeah. And that has been destroyed. They are aligned. Yoda to yes. Dooku to Qui-Gon to Obi Yoda. to yes. Anakin to yes. Ahsoka. And, and she's the end. She takes no yep. Padawan learner. You can make arguments that she had a hand in training Ezra, of course, but that's not hers. Right. Uh, that's not her. That's not her one-on-one. It yep. ends with her. And yep. this idea that... You know, I, you know, as we begin sort of the overall, just to build on what you're saying, I think that, like you said, Brian, we collectively did the, as a fandom, Mm -hmm. well, they both left the order. That has to be the thesis. Mm -hmm. What I think the thesis is, and if I can jump in on your trading ideas, like, you know, maybe watch it like this, which I think is part of what this fandom is. And I think that's part of what's important is like, I've struggled with Rogue One for years. And then somebody said, well, what about these things? And I was like, Mm -hmm. "Mm, I like that. I like Mm -hmm. that's really interesting. (laughs) I don't think the thesis is that they both left. I think it's how did these people on opposite ends of the lineage and these people that both did leave. I think the did leave is the setup for the thesis, not the end. Yes. Yeah. It's not Mm. how did we get both of these people that left? It's how did both of these people that we know left? Because we also don't get the leaving of Dooku in this. He leaves before short three begins. He's already Mm -hmm. gone. And so I think it's how do we get to their emotional breakthroughs? And one acts on his worst instincts and the other acts on her best instinct. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the flip. I think if you watch the show through that lens, I think it's more of a Dooku gets to this point of committal this way. Ahsoka gets to this point of recommittal this way. Execution notwithstanding, um, because that's the bail of it all. And that's the third one. But I would argue that that's more of the point than the leaving, because it's like, if you want to see the leavings, then it's like, we'll go back to season five then, or if you want, or, or go back to Jedi. Yeah. So that's, that I think is sort of where we're at, but you know, we could spend forever just on this preamble. Um, sure could. <laughs> and we absolutely could. And 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 as I, I love I love these fun therapy Star Wars conversations because it's it's like when we all come in and we all agree, I think that that's great. Or when we strongly disagree, that can be interesting too. But the middle is way more interesting. The I'm kicking it around. I'm thinking about it. Chase, you were going to say something. Yeah, I was just going to say speaking on like the middle, I think there's something too to watching this these shorts. I think the first time I watched him, I was looking at them as, oh, they're focusing on Dooku and Ahsoka. Like, these are the Jedi that the tales are being told about. But in reality, like, the tales of the Jedi include all the other Jedi that are in these stories. And Mm -hmm. I think that, like, the other, the ancillary characters are almost equal billing. I think that Dooku and Ahsoka serve as the faces of these stories in a lot of ways. And, like, 
you know, in in main, I guess, top build arcs. But the ancillary characters, I think, serve to fo- like serve to um, sp- like they, they sort of just speak to like all the other erosion of this time. Like mm. the like the word that comes through in all these shorts is just erosion. Like everything is just being chipped mm-hmm. at and chipped away. And it's like, and even Yaddle is like, you are right to Dooku. And it's like, you know, I, I guess you could argue if she really thought that or not, but I felt like she really did think that. And she really was disillusioned and was like, damn, like we flopped. Um, But yeah, so I think that the Tales of the Jedi, like looking at it, zoomed, a little bit zoomed out and, and looking at like all the Jedi that are there because Mace Windu is a huge character in these shorts mm. huge character. oh yeah mace windu is massive um padme and bale are both massive and one of them is dead yes, Pad- yes padme's spirit yeah. hangs over yeah that that last one that she was my friend is oh, one of uh, yeah. like oh it got me but then and qui-gon Jinn, this is some of the best qui-gon, qui-gon. storytelling mm-hmm. there's ever been dooku yeah. and we'll oh. get to it in that short dooku standing in front of the unetti tree and saying i used to bring him here as a boy that I mean, I I don't have kids, nor have I ever trained anyone really to do anything. But that 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 moment absolutely got me in the in the Star Wars dad place and stuff. So let's get into it. Let's do it. I have to be the one that's like no more preamble. We have to do it because we could literally stay here. So let's start with Dooku. We're moving by character here that way we can sort of end on some real world conversations and then wrap them all. I will say before we do it, while we are not doing the order that they place them in, I do like the order that they place them in. I think Mm. it I think it plays like an album in the same way that uh, Visions did, where it's like, yeah, Visions, you could have watched them in any order. But that was intentionally placed. And I feel like doing Ahsoka, then all of his arc, and then the last two beats of hers, I think played like a really good song. Hers is the the pre-Jedi time of her life, her family, everything like that. But jumping into the first Dooku episode called Justice, Saul Ruiz, Dave Filoni writing, this is Jedi Master Dooku and Padawan Qui-Gon, uh, voiced by Liam Neeson's son, Michael Richardson, of course, so cute. Uh, son of Liam and the late, great Natasha Richardson, um, who did, uh, he did a fantastic job channeling his dad, but with enough of a youthful change uh, and didn't feel like an impression. It just felt like, yeah, that's what that guy would sound like and that's what he would be like um talk to me about justice and the first of in my opinion the first of many he's got a great point moments that we've (laughs) that you get throughout this where you're like you ain't wrong i feel like this these dooku shorts are all that scene in attack of the clones where he's talking to obi and obi's imprisoned and you're like oh everything he's saying (laughs) is kind of (laughs) true Yeah, this this whole little arc with Dooku was just that conversation. Mm-hmm. Like it was that conversation mm-hmm. that he had. And I think for someone who does not exactly like the Jedi that we get during the prequels, and I also think I'm exactly how George Lucas wanted you to feel, mm-hmm. and that was his intention, and it's beautiful and wonderful, and it's heartbreaking that our heroes fell, and that's exactly what we were supposed to feel like. I think... I really love that we liked Dooku. Like, Mm -hmm. I think they're doing this really, really well. I know this is off topic a bit, but this is what Star Wars, I think, can do so well. Of We're getting a little of this. We got this with Dedra in Andor of... (laughs) Like, we're kind of rooting for her at the beginning. We're like, yeah, take these dudes down. You're right. You're onto something. You're onto something. You're onto something. And then we get had our, our, our switches flipped and like, wait, I was just rooting for this girl to like take everything away from everybody. Like, oop. I was wrong. Mm -hmm. I messed up. 
And that's yeah. what the prequels were all about. Like to me, that is why the prequels are mm. my favorite Star Wars because all of the prequels built you up to rah, 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 rah and love the clone troopers and do all these things and then realize that they were all just tools and the audience got fooled by Palpatine just as much as everybody else did in in story and you leave the prequels feeling like you got played, mm -hmm. which I think is why people don't like them personally because they feel played by them. But yeah. that is the fine beautiful point of the storytelling and that's why it works so well and that's why they're amazing um yeah. but i i really do like that in a way dooku is kind of the hero of that first story and you might go like okay well qui-gon's on to something but you know for me dooku is the hero in that story he was right and knowing right. the ending knowing how what it all happens we're like oh yeah nope dude's yeah. right no he's right i mean it, he's objectively correct in the neglect that the senator has for his people and it's like it's one of those situations where you can get into the overall like this is a big arts conversation right now especially in film and television of do we sometimes give the correct point of view actions that invalidate the correct point of view to make them too villainous and things like mm -hmm. but i but i like that and they wrote that line really well, though, because the mm. kidnapped son is like, no, they're right. Yeah. Even the kidnaps, if the kidnapped yep. son had been like these crazy people, they took me the monsters, villagers like, ah, I'm a rich boy. That might have been like going too far into indicting the correct viewpoint. But even he was like, no, my father has mistreated them and this is wrong. And I think Dooku having Qui-Gon there, of course, is a big is the big deciding factor that stops him from crossing those lines but chase how did you feel about the way that it set them up as a dynamic the parallels that we have there's that beautiful of course you know your the the uh, line about him being wise yes that then gets passed down how did you feel about the the way that we set him up here the way that it includes things like what dave filoni has explicitly said george told him the day they met that mm. a jedi negotiates by putting their saber on the table everything that you saw in this first one yeah honestly again the just the humanization of dooku has been really really exciting to watch and sort of the and we'll get into this i'm sure in another dooku episode but this whole like bringing in separatists and like adding adding more meat to that in terms of like, I'm I'm like, I'm not a soup. I'm not like a super separatist ex expert, but I, I understand the political like landscape of Star Wars. And I understand like the wants and desires of, of all these different sides. But to be able to see it played out in such an it's like start to see like, again, the erosion of that Dooku kind of like is going through with the Jedi Order and with the Senate and all these things has been super exciting and super humanizing. I think also going back to the Senator's son, I mean, anytime we get to see, I think the Senator's son is the hero of the mm. story. I mean, like mm -hmm. the hero of the story. And I love that it's like just a casual person. I mean, I know they're a, a sen senator's son, but it's like sort of like a senator's son in this village, like like still doing like what's right and sort of like standing up. So I just thought this episode had a lot of heart and it was really sad and it was really hard to watch, but in a in a wonderful way. And I just love the way that it humanized Dooku for sure. Yeah, let me, I one, I love how much politics was in the show. Yes, I love that we talked yes. about the Senate. I love that we had the separatists. I love that we had the Republic. I love that like, because that is intertwined with the Jedi and where they failed. And and I really love that they they didn't shy away from that. And that's something that I appreciate that Star Wars Disney is doing because that's what they so actively walked away from when they first started. Mm -hmm. And now they're going back into it and maybe telling it in a little bit different of a way, but they're not actively avoiding it anymore. So I appreciate mm -hmm. that very, very, very much. And I do kind of love chase that you brought up the son was kind of the hero because i feel like what 
this did really well, particularly in that episode, is as we were rooting for Dooku, the fact that he could just force choke someone and basically stand up to all those people by himself, the Jedi are also overpowered. And that's actually really dangerous. It's like, to me, popular, not popular, probably less popular conversation, but like people want like a government and they want their heroes to be really, really powerful because they believe in the idea of what those heroes represent. But what happens when you give all of your trust into someone who's powerful Mm. that was supposed to do the good thing Mm -hmm. and now they're overpowered Mm. and this is what can happen what brian is saying is that he's team cap if you're watching (laughs) civil war he is he is team cap mark him down for steve rogers and and steve rogers's ass I was uh, going to say, have you seen America's ass? But yes, no, truthfully, <laughs> yeah. you know what? But Come not, at me, but yes. Not to make it the Civil War thing, but... But Team but, Cap 100%. But that is what you described, and, it, and it's yep, true. It I mean, it's it's yep. the ideal. It speaks also to what you're saying about the prequel backlash. Prequel yep. backlash, something that should never have happened, and we all lived through, and you know, we've tried to put behind us the best that we can collectively, and we've made great strides, yep. but, the, but there's still a long way to go. And doing shorts like this embraces it because part of what the disappointment you're talking about, Brian, you feel the way George wanted us to feel that the glory days were not that. You want the glory days? There's a publishing line right now that are the real glory days. 100%. And that's and that also was... you start and they're so beautifully trinkling in where it starts. Oh, to fall oh yeah. Apart from the oh, very yeah. first book. You can see you so can good. you get the little notes of like there's that that beautiful interlude. And I was going to bring him up actually, so I'm glad you brought up that first book, uh, Charles Soul Light of the Jedi. That interlude chapter where the Jedi sit around and talk about intervening and Yariel Poof, Yariel Poof of all people, has that incredible line about peace and justice and how how can we have both? Let me say that I loved, okay, I love the Martez sisters, some of my favorite Star Wars characters ever introduced. Um, And I love that we got one person who saw a Jedi go too far, who understood why they went too far, possibly. And we saw another set of of characters who the Jedi went too far, but saw the opposite side of it. I love when Star Wars gives us two sides to similar situations, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because I I think Star Wars is so good at giving you both sides, almost judgment free as much as it can. And I love that. I love that so much about Star Wars because Star Wars doesn't really tell you how to think. It's been the hardest part for me watching Andor because Mm. I feel Andor is very explicitly telling you how to feel. And I'm fine with that. It's a different kind of storytelling, but it's been Mm. a little hard for me as a Star Wars fan of I enjoy talking like this and everybody kind of getting different reads. And that's not everybody's cup of tea. No. And I think that's, yeah, like to what you're saying, like Star Wars has always been in that, like Star Wars does not deal in gray. That's why gray Jedi were left behind in Legends. It is not a gray story. It's an unpacking. It plays in gray, but it always comes down on one or the other. And sometimes crawls out of it at the end. Yeah. And sometimes you have a Qui-Gon that's there to say, hey, 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 whoa, don't forget who you are what your best instincts are and that and and Dooku acknowledges that and gives it to him and that Yariel Poof quote I pulled up is we must always strive for peace but also justice peace without justice is flawed hollow at its core it is peace provided by tyranny so it's like at what point though it's that Mace Windu quote in episode two we are keepers of the peace not soldiers it's like yeah but you also all carry swords and at what point is it important to draw them and this 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 visual of Dooku like you said Brian being able to take them all down 
relatively effortlessly. He's a master duelist. He's one of the greatest that ever was. He's Yoda's Padawan. All these things. It makes me think of uh, in, in Charles Soule's, uh, he did that Star Wars number 25, bunch of short stories. Obi-Wan explains to Anakin, Anakin's asking a bunch of dumb Anakin questions. Like, how come we don't have lightsaber grenades? How come we don't have like light shields and light spears and stuff? And Obi-Wan explains to him essentially like the lightsaber is a symbol that we could do more and we choose not to. Mm. We have all this power and we choose restraint. And it's this beacon, it's this visual thing, but it's it's all the things that we could do. Being able to draw the sword and being able to swing it and being the one that swings that are different. And I, to Chase's point, that this kid, this senator is the hero is sort of the thing, right? Because it's always, you have Luke and Leia and you have Rey and you have Ahsoka, you have these children of destiny and magic, but it's always your Martezes or your Han Solos or your other people that facilitate it. Mm-hmm. And what what it does so well in this episode specifically is it, it, it utilizes that like, the the kid that is like he's a kid he's a little bit more innocent he's not you know he he's might might have like privileges of being a senator's son but mm-hmm. like the best Star Wars gets into that gray area because like Qui Gon for sure is a voice of reason in that episode but the biggest voice of reason is like the one who's not really affiliated to any sort of like power structure mm-hmm. in government in politics the Jedi are the Senate is and I think that's also a very Star Wars thing it puts the war it puts the wars in Star Wars because it really like it speaks to sort of like the infallibility of political structures of any kind. Do you know what I mean? Or not infallibility, the fallibility of power mm. structures of any kind. Because it's like the Jedi cannot, like in this, like, as soon as this episode starts, the Jedi cannot come out of this being like 100% clean and 100% heroes do you mean Mm -hmm. and so i just love that it was like this one kid who's like unaffiliated for the most part i know he's a son but he's not a senator you know he doesn't go to work every day in the senate um so i just love that it was like a kid who was like yeah i'm not affiliated to either party or to you know any sort of structure that is is fallible and i'm going to be the voice of reason in this and that's something that we see a lot going on right now in terms of with andor sort of unpacking the 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 police state the prison industrial complex a lot of things this is also sort of a comment on guardianship versus policing because and and sort of how a noble intention can push you toward one whenever i've explained to someone the problem and there are many but the the root problem with policing is that take the fire department and the police department as two examples. Mm -hmm. They both exist to be reactionary. There's a fire, you put it out. There's a crime, you solve it. At one point or another, and somebody with more expertise can probably break this down more beautifully than I can in a more articulate way. The fire department stayed reactionary and the police department became preventative. And like the fire department doesn't come to your house and say, hey, can we search to see if you have candles? We heard that you have candles. We heard that you had matches, this, that, and the other thing. They don't frisk you to see if you're carrying a lighter. They are in the there's a fire. Let us solve the problem. The police have become the we lord over people. Now, Dooku gets here and sees the way that this village is in shambles, the way that it's been torn asunder by these bad political decisions. And he has a choice. He can solve the problem. There's a hostage situation. The Jedi should be dispatched. I think the Jedi Order agrees on that. The Senate agrees on that. Everyone agrees on that. Even the villagers knew that would get some sort of reaction. That right. needs to be solved. That's wrong. But what Dooku is interested in is a cutting off of the fish's head preventative measure to make sure things don't get worse. Mm -hmm. And while you can say, yes, that needs to change, that becomes the the difference between him and 
Qui-Gon because Qui-Gon has a very modern, it's not written in a modern way, but it's a, it's a line for right now of why don't you choose better representation? Mm-hmm. Why, why, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if he uses the word vote, but he says like, why, why not, why not select a new, and like that's youthful bliss in a lot of ways, right? <laughs> to think that it will change that. But there is somewhere between cutting off the fish's head indiscriminately because I have the force and I'm the greatest duelist and I'm mother effing Dooku and I'm, I'm the greatest. And Qui-Gon's naivete somewhere in there is a right answer. And Star Wars asks more questions than it answers very intentionally. I would tell you, and again, to go back to Chase for being brilliant to bring up the sun. Look, joking aside, I am 43 years old. I'm a queer person and I have been out since the 90s and I fought real hard to get where we got, right? Mm. And again, maybe this is, and it's my own life experience that led into how I felt about the prequels because I was also a 19-year-old queer kid just coming out as the prequels were coming out who did and still does respect law enforcement and the police officers. I also agree that there they have been the idea of preventative is a very, very dangerous thing. And I think Mm -hmm. that like, I don't trust my government. I probably never will trust my government because look what's happened already. They gave me finally I got the right to be married. And now one person has now thrown that all out of loop and now is making everything questioned. The police are supposed to be there to protect and to serve us. Mm-hmm. And the government has used them to do other things. And I think that is what the prequels have always done. And I find it beautiful and very well said that it was a civilian that broke up the fight. And it's a civilian who had the right point of view. The civilian is like, hey, I can see a little bit of both sides here. That is not gray, people. I am so tired of people thinking I can see a little bit of both sides is not the gray area. That is not what being in the gray area means. It means mm-hmm. like I can wade through the gray area to get to a resolution. Mm. In mm-hmm. my opinion, if anything, Dooku's second and third shorts—it's a perfect way to move into the second one. Dooku nope. believing that he can exist in gray is the mm-hmm. problem because balance on the mm-hmm. force does not mean a little light and a little dark. I'm sorry if you really liked the leak duel, the fate script. I apologize. <laughs> that script does not understand the force. It's the—it's that script is one of the only things that you will ever hear me be outright catty negative about because it actively. You know, and I'm not saying you have to love Rise. I'm not saying you have to love Last Jedi. That's not that's not the point. Mm-hmm. The point is, is that there's one thesis that binds it all, and that's to be in balance is the light side. That's yep. what it is. And Dooku thinking, well, I can just do this. I can Sifo Dyas necessary sacrifice. Uh, I can just delete this from the records. Uh, I could just do this until suddenly it's, whoa, 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 that's not the line we agreed upon that we get mm. in three with him and Sheev, which we'll, I'm skipping yep. a little bit ahead, but we'll get there. So this short, I completely agree. Love the way that justice ends with the senator's son. They get to leave, but they are forever changed. You get the idea and that things will probably get better there because of the intervention. Things have not yet exploded. And you sort of understand a little bit of why Qui-Gon is the way he is as well. It's a good prequel for him in terms of him being the one that is... Qui-Gon internalized these experiences in a healthier way. He became a maverick. He became somebody that was, what we do is important. However, I'm not just going to sit here and not question it. I'm not going to have a council seat, as we learn in uh, Claudia Gray's Master and Apprentice. He could have been on the council, should have been. Obi-Wan even says it in Phantom Menace. Like, yeah. But that's Obi-Wan, who's a loyalist to the Jedi Order. He shouldn't have been. Qui-Gon made the right idea. You shouldn't join the power. The power in the actual power in life Mm-hmm. is not joining those things and constantly questioning mm-hmm. and pushing boundaries against those things. In my opinion, that's well, what I, the real power is. That's what the, the sun does. That is like queer 
Rebellion at its core is constantly pushing what you expect and normal and knowing that maybe we're never going to get fully there, but we're going to constantly question and push against what you tell me is supposed to be the way. And that's, and that's what Qui-Gon why represents for me. I, I love that. That's beautifully said. Um, I think... And I totally ah, interrupted you. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. It's okay. I, I think you're jogging my memory. Was it on a Pink Milk stream, maybe in the comments, or maybe when you were on Octa Radio in your first episode? I think the idea of Qui-Gon being... Oh, you know what? It was with you, Chase. It was... I asked you at the end of your episode, which Jedi are gay? And I think we agreed that Qui-Gon is absolutely like some type of free love. Oh, he's free love. Dude, he's pansexual. Of, yeah. All some, through and through. Some yep. ty- yeah, like <laughs> somewhere on the spectrum of all all comers. Just yep. all all. Yeah. Yeah. Any consenting I, adult, he is absolutely ready. <laughs> he's there with a poncho. You know, he's yeah, I'm looking he, real good. He's nice to your kid. <laughs> he has a yeah. stru- a well structured nose, which is yeah. one of the hottest things a person can have. And well conditioned oh, long hair and just What's all going the, on? Yeah. <laughs> it's a Qui-Gon breakthrough is happening. Um it is a breakthrough. And I have to say though. I, I like um I, this is me kind of coming into defense of my boy Obi-Wan too a little bit because I think it also speaks <laughs> I love everything you said Brian I just think another thing that's interesting that Tales of the Jedi did specifically is it speaks to like of course Qui-Gon grew up sort of like a little bit more discerning of the council and of the Jedi as an institution because look who his master was and then he had those privileges that that so like so basically Qui-Gon was kind of like grounded in that and he kind of grew up to be a little bit more grounded and not as much not as angsty about the Jedi order as an institution the way that Dooku Mm. was so Mm. then Obi-Wan got complicit in that and Mm. was like oh look at the Jedi and are infallible. They, they're just great. You know what I mean? Because yeah. look how great, like all these types of things. So of course he's like, well, why would you turn that down? Look how good we are. So it, that that intergenerational play is really, really interesting too. It's that idea of free parent, the child rebels by not rebelling. Yes, yes. The, the child, like, like, but but the dad, stop wearing that dad, cut your hair, dad, this, that, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I'm going to be straight laced. But if Qui-Gon had been more stern, if Qui-Gon was more like, if Obi-Wan had Mace Windu as a master, Obi-Wan oh. might have expanded Obi-Wan would have been Anakin. A lot would have been, yeah, it's all about the the right sort of chemistry of the two guys. And, and yeah. Brian, to your point about the institutional rot that happens over time, it's not a coincidence. I asked uh, Daniel Jose Older about this, that the High Republic Jedi, they still have a council, but they have a triumvirate of grandmasters. There's three. Yep. There's more of a checks and balance. By the time we get yeah. to the prequels, it's just Yoda with Mace as the right hand and yep. how that has sort of changed. And, you know, I say Mace, we're here and uh, let's move right into him. <laughs> let's move into uh, episode three of the show. But the second part of the Dooku arc choices directed by Charles Murray, written by Charles Murray and Elon Murray. Um, I apologize mm-hmm. if it's if it's Elaine or and not Elon. I'm just reading it here. Uh, this is uh, Jedi Masters Count Dooku and Mace Windu investigate the mysterious death of their own. This is a very interesting situation, right? Because in the last episode, we see Dooku and Qui-Gon dealing with a situation where the regular folk raised a conversation and that Senator's son made the right call. Here, as we are now inching closer to explosion and closer to war, at the Clone Wars looming down the road, here we can make the argument the people did not make the right choice and therein mm-hmm. validate some of Dooku's worst instincts. Mm-hmm. So whoever wants to jump in start, first. Yeah, can one. I start yeah. with this one? Please. Because yeah. this was my favorite episode of all of them. 
And this is where I was like, I was all riding high <laughs> on my Chase is going to be upset with me, but my Dave Filoni love, because like, okay, I love Avatar The Last Airbender, one of my favorite television series of all time. Hell yeah. So good. Those Raxus dudes with the very sexy gloves that I also think were Ooh. supposed to be in Luthen's shop on that same episode on the mm -hmm. same day. There's some little spiky gloves. I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, those are Raxus mm -hmm. gloves, in my opinion. However, I, one of my favorite 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 avatar like arcs was on bossing say when they finally get there and there's like the daily and they were at one time like the security for the king and they eventually warp his little mind and start to take over and like i was getting daily vibes everyone please go check out avatar the last editor if you have it you will not be disappointed mm. get past the first five episodes if you're an adult because it's very kid-like but they're also very important because it will break your heart come season three when you see what happens to poor beautiful ang who's a perfect little soul <laughs> but it clip like that out <laughs> and send it to nickelodeon be like, here's an ad for you by the way if you want to just uh, throw that but you're, oh. you're you're right by the way too that was uh that was appointment viewing in the diaz household as a child um, for sure. but the the dai lee like i feel like that those security people because there was this optimistic hopeful little governor or whomever the dude was supposed to be the leader mm. of the guy and they manipulated him and took him took advantage of him and dooku and Mace knew exactly what they're doing, which is also funny because then Mace fast forward does the exact same damn thing and manipulates everybody and then got in over his bridges and didn't arrest someone and decided to kill them. And when someone turns around and calls him out on it, she calls her a citizen and is like, you just did everything you said you were going to do. You just did it because I should have timed power. I should have timed how long it was going to take for the citizen thing to come up. Uh, he, Mace, they could give Mace an entire saga and he will never escape nope. <laughs> that he moment. No. Anyways, I really love this episode, but I, I think I, I love and maybe I loved it so much because I love Avatar and it brought in this idea of what the Dai Li were doing. And I know that mm. Dave Filoni at one point in time worked on Avatar Last Airbender, talks mm -hmm. about it all the time, loves it. It's beautiful. And I, I really <laughs> liked that idea that we could have one episode that starts this arc where the, the citizens do the right thing, but then it ends with the citizens also doing the wrong thing. But mm -hmm. I think those citizens did the wrong thing because they were so broken down by the Senate and the Jedi and everything that they were doing that they just got broken down and ultimately did the wrong thing. But they were also driven there by their own oppressive government because they believed that the Jedi were there supposed to free them. And then like they put too much faith in the all too powerful police force and then they became oppressed by them. Yeah. And before throwing it over to Chase, I mean, the idea that we've talked about of, that, that Chase brought up, like the idea that we have selected the right Jedi to serve as the supporting characters or, or the right characters overall. And the, the first one, it, it had to be Qui-Gon Jinn. I would argue for this one, it has to be Mace Windu. Like he is the right character to have because he's the one that we several times throughout the prequel trilogy will say, are you too hard? Are you too hardline? Are you are you lacking the empathy and everything? And for him to be the more reasoned one here in terms of procedurally, you know, Dooku, we were sent to do this. We were not sent to take it into our own hands and do X, Y, and Z in terms of our engagement. But Dooku is like, no, I'm, I'm going off script. Because something is not right. And he's ideologically correct. But the difference between episode one of Dooku and episode two of Dooku is that Qui-Gon steps in and is able to appeal to, again, that instinct, that better instinct is appeal, able to appeal to light, able to appeal to empathy. Dooku's past that now. There is not going to be a, we'll talk about it later. Someone's going to pay for what happened here. And yep. it's that line of, you do a dark thing, 
and it gets easier and it gets easier and it gets easier and it gets easier. Now I'm having flashbacks of my WandaVision multiverse of madness conversations. Um, <laughs> the, the internet just screamed again, uh, just, just thinking about it, but Chase yeah. just got to chill. Down yeah. back. <laughs> just, just Wait, someone just fell asleep. I'm sorry. What? How dare you, sir? How dare you? Literally sir? like my favorite. Never mind. How, this is not that was literally just like sibling pushing buttons for no yes. reason to the push a button. That was a shot across the bow, Brian. Um, Chase, yeah, take us into your thoughts on choices and uh, uh, Count Dooku and Mr. Citizen himself. Well, I was sitting on what I thought was a really good point, and it still might be, but you you, you brought up a kind of an interesting counterpoint psychologically before knowing, I, psychically before mm. knowing I was going to say this. I kind of feel like this episode, the reason they work so well together, uh, Mace and Dooku, is because they feel like they're the same, like they're just different sides of the same coin. And that coin is ego. Like, mm. and that's part of what drives me nuts about Mace Windu. I just, but I don't really have that much like textual evidence. So help me out, guys. Um, I no, just, they 100% I, do. I just get the vibe that like Mace does what's right because he's like, and like he just is so into himself and into the Jedi and into like his job and is like so type A in a very ego based sort of way. And Dooku is like so ego based because it's like it's like like we like you mentioned earlier, Alden. It's like this idea of like just cutting off the head of the fish. Part of that is because Dooku is like so ego based. He's like, well, I'm mm. just going to do it because it's great. But then also like the Jedi don't leave him much room to do much else. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And that's all exploited expertly by Palpatine. But I like these two opposite each other because to me they're the same person just one of them does it in honor of the good you know in quotations like he thinks he's doing it on like a high roll and Dooku's not afraid to get a little bit dirtier with it but they're both very sort of ego ego driven it feels like in this story I think in, that in all yeah I think that your ego point is spot on and it's it's the difference between buying into Mace buys in 100% institutionally yeah and almost independently of the ideology whereas yeah. Dooku buys in 100% personally and i think that like it, it's a very popular fan question and there's been some gorgeous art recently i'll give a shout out to uh, uzuri art um yeah. who is amazing like what would qui-gon have looked like in the clone wars it's a very fun thing to look at but i think we all agree qui-gon would not have joined and and no. the difference is that if let's say theoretically we got to the point of a war breaking out dooku either does what he know we know he does which is leave the other side or he walks qui-gon probably says I really empathize with all of you and I love you, but I'm walking. And Anakin oh, would have absolutely. walked out right behind him. Absolutely. If he had been around. Yeah. Mace is the type of guy that is so into the, we serve the light, therefore we must be correct. Yeah. He takes up arms immediately and is like, well, the, the procedure is right. Well, why is the procedure right? Well, because the book says so. Well, who wrote the book? Yeah. Well, we did. So you're saying you're right. It's it's religion. It's the law. It's yeah. all of this stuff. It's it's. Yeah. He's a zealot for goodness. By the time you get to Last Jedi, it's Luke and Ray that are having these conversations of to say that if the Jedi die, the light dies is vanity. Mm -hmm. Mace Windu probably does believe if the Jedi die, oh, the light 100%, dies. 100%. Yes. Okay. I'm very excited because I'm putting things together right here live, listening to all these people, which is why everyone should have, have, have healthy conversations. About this man has a pen. Or any media. He has a oh, pen in his hands. Okay. It's also <laughs> going to be known as Brian doesn't trust his government, or, nor should anyone ever trust their government. You should believe in your government right. and believe in know what your country stands for, but never trust the government. It always challenged them. So here we go. This whole season, this whole, this thing opens up with beautiful baby Ahsoka, right? And all of her innocence, mm. because life is innocent and beautiful and human beings at their core are good. 
99% of the time. Mm-hmm. Society, yes. government, power changes and corrupts, right? Yes. Dooku yes. and and Mace really are the same the same coin, two different sides, right? Down to there's one seat that's going to be open. Who's going to take it? Are we going to take the one who loves the Jedi and believes in, yes. the, in the Jedi ideology? Or are we going to pick someone who believes in the Jedi order? And the institution, yeah. The institution, Mm -hmm. yes, thank Mm -hmm. you. And the Jedi, because they are getting corrupted, pick the one who is the institution dude, not the one who's going to challenge him and challenge Mm -hmm. the government, which is who they should have picked. Because what if they picked Dooku? He may have never even followed through with Palpatine. I mean, these are... Palps over there. These shorts are designed, the Dooku ones are designed so that you don't need Jedi Lost, but they fit yep. perfectly into Jedi yes. Lost. If anybody wants yes. to know where, I can yep. tell you if you tweet me or whatever. Um, Kevin also broke that down. Yeah. Um, you get the idea, in, in Jedi Lost, he did have a seat, but it's not uncommon that when you get a Padawan, you give up your seat. So you can, in your mind, just be like, this might have been Dooku's second one if he'd gotten it. Mm-hmm. But that point That's is correct. correct. That point yeah. is still correct independently of how many times he's, because yeah. it's like... Oh. You know, Baby Ahsoka is a perfect thing. When she's when the revelation happens of what Baby Ahsoka is, it's she is Jedi, mm-hmm. not she is a Jedi. Oh yeah, not uh-huh. we should yeah. call the Jedi, and not look, we should alert the Jedi. She is, yeah, but in look, essence. But look yeah. what, but look what happens to Ahsoka, and this is why I mother f and love Ahsoka Tano more than anything mm-hmm. because she didn't choose another leader she chose the rebellion that questioned everything that name snips that everyone likes to get annoyed about she is snippy with anything and everything because she is constantly challenging you because mm-hmm. she challenges ezra she challenges trace she challenges she challenges every single person she mm-hmm. comes to because she mm-hmm. challenges you yeah. to be your best self yeah i mean and in not order to... to be and in order to be your best self you cannot join any group you cannot join well without question or without yeah because but if you join them completely they will rob you of that because you are now one of them you can't join to be who you are you have to question everything you can align with something but you cannot join it that is my opinion you should always have one foot out the door in case someone tries to screw you over but this is also possibly a little bit of a bitter gay man maybe we're maybe we're too many bad things maybe we're unpacking (laughs) maybe we're unpacking a little (laughs) i don't i don't want to i'm not going to accuse you brian of being a dj you're not a literal don't join um but there is i think a or am i um yeah i don't I, i think there's a difference between the idea of not to refute you or to, to put words in your mouth, yeah. but it's, or it's, 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 it's totally great. That's what we're here for. Yeah. Never. It's not to, for me, don't join. It's don't join to find yourself, find yourself and then see where that self fits. And like, don't join to lose yourself. Like and, don't yeah. join. To, yeah. This is a, this group's going to fix my problems, right? This right. friend group is going to fix my problems. This job is going to fix my problems. Um, there was actually, I cannot believe I'm referencing Saturday Night Live in this conversation, but <laughs> it, it, you know, very, very rarely these days do they have a sketch that I feel is like, yes, yes. they did one with, uh, Adam Sandler a few years ago and the name of the sketch is Romano Tours and it was for this tour company and in the thing it's it was a really smart comment on how people try to escape their problems and he was like mm. Romano Tours we can send you and your beloved on a vacation to go hiking in the mountains we cannot make you someone who likes hiking like <laughs> it, you're not going to be able to find yourself in these in these things and I think that's what you know to bring it all the way back to that council seat I love that when Mace says that he he got it and dooku refers to him as master jedi he's drawing that line between it's it's him saying you and i are not the same and it's it's frustrating because it's it does that thing that the prequels do so beautifully where we know we can pinpoint all the moments where if someone had just had a conversation 
and if someone Yoda and Anakin is probably the biggest one there ever was um, right behind that. And I mean, that that whole scene of, you know, let go of what you fear to lose and all that. It's like, yes, but but talk to the man. Don't stop talking to the Jedi's. Talk to talk to this kid that you knew. Uh, the Siege of Mandalore is probably the other big one. Ahsoka and Anakin not talking during that. I mean, we know that, that like if there had been a moment here, this Jedi funeral where they're all standing around and it's that moment of at the end of that funeral, Dooku should have called a meeting or somebody should have or mace should have and there's all this idea of the more that we allow things to get decided for us through a lack of questioning the further we get kicked down that road or maybe um had your jedi lobbyists not allowed the republic to get rid of the jedi therapist that was there in the high republic maybe had the jedi yeah the jedi therapist <laughs> the entire idea of a way seeker program like yeah the <laughs> fact that there were way seekers in the high republic you know anakin skywalker would have been a way seeker he would have been oh a, he would have he would have been a he would have been a pod racer jedi who was out there like i'm a professional racer i also jedi sometimes it's a great life i got natalie portman's my wife like it would have been a really <laughs> great time for everybody um and also like to bring it back to jedi lost again you can sort of fit in these shorts um that first one fits in pretty well before a big event with dooku's family this one probably fits in all signs point to this is right before he quits there's a moment in jedi lost where it's like dooku gives a speech before Senate and everybody sort of is upset about it. Like a, a Jedi speaking their mind, like in the Senate and everything. And, but Duke is making the point of like, you guys want to be so involved. Mm-hmm. If we're going to be involved, we should be saying things. Mm-hmm. We're not an, a militant arm of some other body, which we've seen, you know, even though these shorts do not depict the leavings, that's the whole point of Ahsoka's leaving. Ahsoka leaves at the height of wartime, and then they try to backdoor it into a, well, it was your trial, surprise. Ooh. Like, and Ooh. that is the, yeah. they're lucky they tried it with someone that was pure of heart, and they Period. didn't try they that with Anakin with or Dooku. <laughs> it would have been hands, I, girl. That made me, oh, I, I recognize it. and acknowledge that that, arc has some issues but i will also say Mm -hmm. that it is the greatest point in any star war like that is the greatest moment of any star war ahsoka walking out in silence where star wars is always faster more intense and dave filoni understood the moment to strip that all away and you watch her walk away in silence so we all had time to like let that sit in was i do not believe star wars will ever be better than that in my humble personal opinion it is so good it is so perfect i also was a person who watched that from literally from the movie theater and watched it week to week so that was like a many year build up to that moment mm-hmm. that like yeah oh, it was uh, so like it is so beautiful i hate to I, I hate to inform you of this but it doesn't have ewoks in it so it can't be the greatest moment um okay. but it is it is pretty high up there no i i, I joke it is it's, you know what when she's done with sun. the stairs she goes straight to the forest moon of endor she, and is over there like smoking pe- peyote or something yeah, like a celebration uh-huh. she goes to the the tuscans and they're like put this lizard in your nose <laughs> and she's like what yeah. up and she just goes on a vision quest <laughs> yeah no just I, I, one 
Just I can do two. Both nostrils. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's this entire idea of we are constantly trying to cover for what we are instead of facing what our mistakes are. I love that because it also speaks and I'm I'm not obsessed with the senator's son. I'm not, but I'm gonna bring it back to him too, because it's like it's like we say it's like, yeah, it's like don't fight or don't and don't and don't fight, not necessarily like in terms of like lightsabers, but don't fight in terms also of like for power in political game because it's like yes talk but more than talk is like listen because that's the listening is a huge part of all of these shorts Mm. which i think is what elevates these shorts above like the clone wars and into more of a deeply spiritual like narrative because it's 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 listening but it's also perception it's about perceiving your environment and with the jedi perceiving the will of the forest which is what they've stopped perceiving because the net the noise of everything else is drowning it out so Mm -hmm. they cannot perceive the will of the force Mm -hmm. and so yeah i just think it's like it's an idea of listening not only talking and engaging in conversation but just listening i mean even yaddle learned a little bit too late that she maybe should have been listening to dooku Mm -hmm. a little bit more when dooku was voicing certain things or when certain things are brought to the council's attention and then what i love about yaddle is she literally was like yeah like i am I am, you know, I was wrong and I should have listened. Like, there's just so much listening yeah. to. Not and really I'm talking. stepping down. I'm I'm stepping down. Girl. I, I quit already. That is, that is one of the coolest things I've seen in Star Wars. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I know we don't know Yaddle that well. And that was like one episode, but I am like blown away by how she was able to do that. And I'm sorry, but it would be like a woman Yoda who does that period. Like only, mm-hmm. I mean, like only a woman. I mean, like mm-hmm. I, as someone who's raised a man, I still couldn't do that. I still couldn't do that because I'm so headstrong in my nature to just sort of like, and like nurture in society to just like dig my heels in deeper a lot of the time. And that's what I love that yeah. Yaddle was like, no, I should have listened. And not only I should have listened, I'm coming here to communicate to you to continue mm-hmm. the, the flow of communication and also make up a tone for my mistakes, step down the council and all yeah. that. I mean, if we're getting to a personal place, I mean, both of your episodes on my show are very, very, very personal stories. And Brian, how Ahsoka sort of is you in a lot of different ways. And I'm Chase, I'm not saying Yaddle is you based off of 15 minutes of storytelling, (laughs) but how we have those moments. I think the reason why moving into this last Dooku one, I think, and I'm having this with Andor too, it's been a hard, very hard. These last couple of years of my life have probably been, I don't want to be so dramatic as to be like, they've been the worst for me personally, have been the most challenging and most difficult. And I've been in probably the darkest place. Mm. Dooku and the on the tail side and Luthan rail on the Andor side. Mm. That's me right now. I feel wrathful and I politically um, in terms of standing up for myself, like in that moment, it would have been hard for Yaddle to reach me. And I think that's why Mm. it's effective because you have now witnessed and there's also the Jedi lost of it all too. So to have that full picture, you've witnessed this person who you're like, but you were right. And I've said this before. And I think I've even said this to you, Brian, in private about like life conversations, like my philosophy, why die on any hill? People say, pick your hill to die on. Why pick? I I don't have to die on any of them. Star Wars challenges you to face your, your sort of dark mirrors in a lot of ways, your reflection where I think a lot of us, if we were honest with ourselves, wouldn't would do very poorly as Jedi or as force users overall with the responsibility Mm. with the it's sort of like the superhero question, too, when people say, oh, I would love to be like Professor X and read minds. No, you wouldn't. No. 
that would drive you to the darkest, worst places. You would yeah. never trust anymore. Yeah. You would never have a human mm. relationship anymore. And yeah. I, I felt that with Dooku where we got to this point in this one where I just felt so seen, but not like I feel positively seen in Star Wars through Sabine Wren. I feel positively seen in Star Wars through Han Solo. Negatively, I saw myself in Dooku, which was a fascinating thing. So moving into this third yeah. one, I want both of your reactions to this. The moment you realized we were in The Phantom Menace. Um, Chase, how did you feel the Stokasta new moment of, you know where we are in Phantom Menace? Tatooine yeah, it just was, happened. It was very exciting. I think it was, for me, a moment of just kind of not, again, I, I didn't read his book. I'm sorry, at Dooku, but I didn't read your book. <laughs> I'm happy for you. I'm glad you have one, but I'm not. You a good can reader. also listen to it, by the way. I was going to no, say, I know, I know. And you know what? I read, I actually, I did listen to the Ahsoka novel. That is one of the the few Star Wars books I've committed to. Um, but I just didn't realize like how close up against Dooku was to the events of the prequel trilogy in terms of leaving the Jedi order. And like, mm. so that really blew my mind. I was like, mm. oh damn, this we're like, the stakes were even higher than I thought. So that of- was so close. They didn't have time to take his bus down out of the library. It was still sitting up there because you know, those arrogant <laughs> Jedi would have been removing that real quick. They well, are the people The Jedi are the people who want to go rewrite history and remove statues from people because this didn't exist. That's who the Jedi are. <laughs> Sorry. Well, so, so to that point, I will do a clarification. That's really funny. Uh, but I will do a clarification uh yes. not like a you're wrong but no i need it uh, I have the <laughs> the short the short plays well uh, and alex damon did a did a dooku video as well for on star wars explain which oh, i'll yes. always shout out for them the short plays well if you don't know when he left it doesn't really matter but at the time of this third short he quit 10 years ago mm-hmm. but when oh. when he quit which isn't jedi lost he there's a whole family drama happens on sereno okay oh, then he becomes a count he right becomes the, he becomes yeah. the count yeah yeah because yeah, yeah, yeah. his brother ramil is the count of sereno so dooku doesn't have a last name he's sort of like madonna or Cher. like dooku yeah, is him? Of like he, is. he has the, a triangle beard and he's got and, and a cape at all times with a double brooch and a <laughs> yeah, whole situation that, that is a high water cape he's always ready for a flood and yet some style somehow still looks hot dooku style analysis coming to pink milk very soon <laughs> in fact maybe just all all force users fashion show you could you can all analyze Ooh. the like luke chanel boots are obviously a topic but Dooku, I think, definitely up there in terms of style. But yeah, so he's been gone. He claims that because the planet's called Sereno, but so is the house. So he becomes because they were the founders. Of, they were the first settlers mm-hmm. on the planet. It's a whole thing. Family drama happened 10 years ago. He leaves. When he quits, he says he tries to turn in his lightsaber and hand it to Yoda. And Yoda says, you don't need to be you know, a, a Jedi. In one of Yoda's actual rare great moments, and he should have kept this mentality. He says, you don't need the title to be one of us. Keep it. And he then spends the next 10 years speaking, mostly private, mostly being a count and just doing count things in his palace or mansion or whatever on Sereno. And he speaks at universities and occasionally does like political speeches and stuff. But he's throughout that 10 years, he's always welcome in the temple. So so he has a he has a bust as one of the lost 20, but he is able to walk in and be like, I'm here on business. I'm here on a Senate thing. I'm here on an ideas thing. So when he's walking around there in the library, the reason why he doesn't know is because he really is out of the loop. And so when he says, I don't think I'd be welcome at the funeral or like, I I don't Mm -hmm. think I would be a welcome presence. It's also that. So when he deletes 
Amino, he punches in Sifo Diaz's code. Right. He doesn't have a code. Right. So right. Dooku's been gone for 10 years, uh, which is also why he's never met Obi-Wan. When he says, like, I hope to meet him. One I day. see. Um, okay. So wow, but, this book sounds pretty good, you guys. Maybe I should yeah. read it. Man, maybe. Maybe, <laughs> maybe at it's some got point. Asaj, yeah. It's got a lot of Asajj in it. Yeah. I do I mean, love a, I love an Asajj moment. Yeah. So this is all inside of it's at the end of that 10 year period um but he is welcome to walk around he comes back in uh kirsten white's book padawan when mm-hmm. obi-wan's like 15 he does see dooku on a visit mm-hmm. so dooku is sort of just like the he used to work here and and we and then he still sort of co- he comes around once in a while so mm. i loved all of that and i loved the way they handled the you're in the middle of phantom menace and then the you're at the end of Phantom Menace after the title card. Mm. I thought that was so elegant, so beautiful. The tree stuff, I already alluded to it. I thought that that scene was just wonderful and just beautifully done. And can we just say, Yaddle for a character that's been around since 1999 that never had a lot. Bryce Dallas Howard does such a great job performing her because it's like Bryce Dallas Howard's young. It's like, how do you create an old lady voice that yeah. feels right? And I loved her and I loved their interaction. And I loved that Dooku from that scene into his interaction with Palpatine it's like we said, it's like you tried to be gray, but you can't be. It was okay when it was Sifo. It was okay when it was a few other things. Now your son, effectively, your son, mm-hmm. for all intents and purposes, got caught in the crossfires. And all Palpatine can offer you is, well, I lost a, an apprentice too. Sucks. Um, how did you feel about everything that happened here at the end of three? You know, actually, just a little pluggy plug for our Patreon. And you can also listen to Chase and I talk about um, the Revenge of the Sith because both of us were like, hmm, Duke sure fine also kind of boring then i watched this I was like oh slay he's actually not boring at all yes. also we were questioning whether or not um the emperor so this is very shallow i'm sorry this is very bad for your show because you know you're great and we usually get deep but this is gonna be shallow uh all i could really think about was that um the emperor had yellow eyeballs and i was like the yellow eyes so was he really hiding them the entire time before oh the the is palpatine disfigured or did he always look like that is one Uh of my favorite star wars things yeah so we talked about that and um anyways that's all i could really think about was oh chase was right maybe it's just the yellow eyes (laughs) i also love that when yaddle is lifting the door and the beautiful symbolism of course of like i'm unleashing light on you whether you like it or not the light is still there i love that she has to do a quick like oh god cover up his face because he's a total vampire like yeah. that's who Palpatine is. He will just mm-hmm. suck the life force out of everything that comes his way. It's great. I do. I have to say, I love how grounded Yaddle was. I think it gave her such a presence. I was a little disappointed because I know in Legends, she's a bloodbender. And to bring it back to Avatar, the last airbender, I would have <laughs> just liked to have seen a little bloodbending because bloodbending is so gross and cool. And it would have been mm-hmm. fun. Didn't get it. That's fine. But I like how grounded she was. And I kind of feel like she almost sacrificed herself in a similar way to Obi-Wan did for Luke, maybe hoping that that would be the thing that could get Dooku back. And unfortunately, it didn't work. I will say this. I was I'm not going to lie. I was like really bummed that we we got her just to have her die sort of thing. But again, as I sort of like sat with it, it I think that that therein lies the power of the use of the character and we'll get more stories with her down the line. You know what I mean? But I think the way that she was introduced and sort of just used to be like kind of serve that function, I thought was actually really powerful. I mean, I don't I don't really have that much like that much original thought on this episode. It just found it to be really moving. I found the symbolism to be really powerful and just sort of like this idea of 
of like having the amount of vulnerability that she needed to have in that mm. moment mm. is like beyond comprehension. Like it's not only like it's just it's one of the most powerful things I think I've seen a Jedi do or a character do in Star Wars because it had it had every angle to vulnerability, admitting you were wrong, like extending a hand like an olive branch. Then mm. also on top of that, like offering an invitation. Like like there's there's it's like there's there's such a each moment got deeper and deeper in her vulnerability. There's physical vulnerability, of course. It's she's she's talking to Dooku who's on the fence, and we got Palpatine there. Like it, there's just a vulnerability in every sense of the word, and to see that to see that level of vulnerability be so generously given and then snuffed out is intense is yeah. very intense yeah can i i'm glad you brought all that up because mm -hmm. i i want to disagree that we got her just to have her die because i do i think that death was so well that's important. not what i said by the way and i just meant i just meant i'm just meant like i'm bummed that we got her and oh, then just okay. saw her die no i didn't know that's what i'm saying okay, got it yeah. like i think it was so incredible to see a quote-unquote good Jedi to all those points that you just made mm -hmm. was still snuffed out and yeah. that the Jedi could have gone somewhere. I think it was really smart to give that to a Yoda species because I don't ever want to see too many Yoda species. I love that they're really special and the Yoda species, Yoda's the only one <laughs> that we mm -hmm. ever have seen recognize, like even Obi-Wan never admits to screwing up. Obi-Wan never thought he screwed up. I'm sorry. I know there are a lot of Obi-Wan lovers Until the there, live I... action Obi-Wan Kenobi series. But then did he really? He said, I'm sorry for all of it. And based off of his cadence and invitation, I would say he meant But, but wait, 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 wait. This, but was this, he this person just said for... cadence and invitation. <laughs> we are back in we are back in drama. We are thespians right now. This based on well, actually, you know what? I would imagine that Chase is a thespian, but so am I. I was a thespian and I have a little troop number from high school. No, but like <laughs> I love that they gave that power to the Yoda species to be the species that continues to be the most luminous being and like mm. recognize failure and 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 be the one humble enough to apologize because I don't think that Obi-Wan apologizes for everything. I think Obi-Wan apologized for not listening to Anakin and killing Anakin. I think it was a very much a one-to-one, -one, I apologize for everything I did to you, yeah. not recognize that he played a part in the actual government and the yeah. galaxy around him that actually... Which is an interesting interesting point, too, about it, how much of this is the ideological rot that we've spoken about, the erosion. Mm -hmm. You brought up that word, Chase, at the beginning. Um, the entire idea of even active or not, choices or or death or realignments or betrayals, whatever it is, the symbolism of the questioners get eliminated somehow. No matter how Qui-Gon, the Maverick, dead. Yaddle, the council member stepping down, dead. Dooku, the master, former council member, you know, big figure, lost 20, leaves and becomes part of the enemy. Everybody that you know, Quinlan Voss has danced with the dark side and come back and is now, we know based on what Tala says and Obi-Wan's somewhere out there. Everybody that had that moment of are we on the right path is in some way forced out Ahsoka Tano being, of course, the other big one. If she's dead. I don't mean dead. Just just out. Okay. Just removed, out. gone. Yep. At the time of Clone Wars season five, removed. Um, at yep. the time gotcha. of Rebels, yep. still 
removed from something at the time of Mandalorian. Teacher adjacent advisor? We don't know. So yeah, just I, I love the points that you brought up, Chase, about sort of the vulnerability and how we get to that point of extending that olive branch and sort of unpacking the soul because that's a rare thing. And I think that it's an underrated act of heroism. It's something, it's something that I love about Han and Force Awakens is just getting to that moment of saying, I've been all these things, but right now I'm just being dad and I'm just saying, yeah. come home. I'm yeah. just saying, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. Just come home. Yeah. And I think that now I want Yaddle and Dooku stories. Like now it's yes. like, I, I would love to know more about, show me a mission that they went on together. Show me a, give Yaddle three shorts in the next season. Yeah. Please. Him and uh, one of hers. Um, Yaddle, Yaddle just became the Jedi that we thought we were going to get in the prequels, but didn't. Mm-hmm. Somebody yeah, she was there the whole time. Yep. Somebody who was oh, yeah. of great power, clearly on the council, esteemed, legendary, but was also willing to say, we have to reevaluate something because that's part of leadership. Yeah. Um, yep. And I think that's something that that's why Palpatine was able to get into Dooku's ear is because he what, what he's saying are things that line up with these shorts that we've discussed so far. Um, and that's that's the power of good star wars villains is the the use of truth as a weapon that's what thrawn does thrawn speaks in facts when thrawn is speaking he's usually correct mm-hmm. mathematically politically artistically um he he knows what he's talking about moff gideon does that a lot in the mandalorian his entire mm-hmm. thing is i am going to explain star <laughs> wars things like like that's that's sort of and palpatine does that too when he is talking to anakin in the you know the tragedy of dark plagueis the wise scene it's what he's saying there that gets in your ear and you can see that happening with dooku and this for me i know as a as a kid of attack of the clones that was was my first one in theaters i have a very special place for that film in my heart it's in my, my top five one of my favorite films period even as a child i always thought well dooku aren't you a little also being a lord of the rings fan it's like you see christopher lee as this wise sort of being. you're like you're like why how could you have fallen for this i understand a young man falling for it how could you have mm. succumbed in these ways and i think that now we have a clear picture of oh yeah no it almost gets you harder when you've lived mm-hmm. more as someone who is a good deal older than the two of you. I will tell you that, especially looking at my friends who I have grown up with since I've, you know, my friends that I've been with, friends with since I was in my 20s, Hmm. it is so much easier to fall when you are down because us older people aren't willing to let someone of a younger generation influence us because we like to be arrogant, think they don't have enough life experience to mm. actually give us any mm. any new ideas because they're just young and foolish and they don't know the way it really is. And it is mm. so much easier to double down on old ideas than be challenged with new ones. And that is, you know, Chase and I actually talk about this a lot because also yeah. sometimes younger people just blame older people for being old and stuck in their ways. And, and right. I think that's truthfully why Chase and I have become such good friends because I think we have an amount of respect for one another Mm -hmm. as people and our own experiences that we can have a really healthy conversation, even if we think about things differently, which is one of the things that I love so much about The Mandalorian, because Mm -hmm. Din Djarin is learning just as much from Baby Grogu as Baby Grogu is teaching Din Din Djarin. And Mm -hmm, had mm -hmm. had Obi-Wan or anyone on the Jedi Council been able to listen to Anakin, who had a very different life experience than all of them did, and maybe learn a new perspective from someone who wasn't like them, a lot of things could have been different. 
And the way that everything that you just unpacked, which is beautifully said, and I think that that's my friendships with both of you have been so rooted in, I think, ideological conversations. Like some of like Mm -hmm. Brian, both of you are the types of people where you have a conversation and then all of a sudden five minutes later, it's like you've known each other for forever and you're having way deeper talks than really you would normally with someone. Like when you and I first became friends, Brian, we were talking about people that shall remain nameless and how they did not show as much respect as maybe they should have for somebody Mm -hmm. that was there, like Mm -hmm. you said, in the 90s, fighting for rights, paving the Mm. way, things like that. And where I feel very, not like so cliche as like old soul, but like I have always felt very Mm. much so principles-based and ideas-based and loyalty to me is so important. And I think to touch on that Dooku stuff again, I think that's why this resonated. And to see sort of how now to to loop that point back in, now I get it. Now I see sort of how it could affect the older person too. The older doesn't mean wiser. Six-year-old Alden didn't get that. Oh, you're Chris, you're an old man. Shouldn't you have known better? No, because it's an inverse and it shows that the nine-year-old boy who came from nothing and was a slave fell to the same machinations as the esteemed older gentleman who was rich and was a count and had it all. Right. The opposite ends and they both sort of fall. Any last thoughts on this last Dooku chapter before we wrap this section? Thank you, because it was so damn good. Yeah. It, yeah. I think it really was my favorite. It was just chef's kiss. Yeah. No, so this has been wonderful. Uh, we went so long on Dooku. And I know we were said we're going to do it all in one episode. And that is true. I would not lie to you, dear listener. But what we're going to do is take a break through the magic of editing. It doesn't really matter when we do this Ahsoka part, but it's going to follow right here after a little break. Then we're going to get into the three Ahsoka chapters, the real world elements and discussions and controversies and feelings and unpackings around the Ahsoka stuff, the conversations canon, the conversations of representation, choices to omit, choices to commit or not, creators, all that jazz is going to be coming on the other side. And then we will also, of course, wrap and talk about how we feel about Dooku and Ahsoka on the whole. So for right now, we will catch you on the other side. And we are back, friends. Thank you so much for hanging with us for what I think amounts to like a 10 second break for you. But for us, <laughs> it's actually been quite a while. Through the magic of editing, we're recording the second segment uh, on a different day. Unfortunately, much on like late night shows when you have a guest at the top that you really love, Brian Barry could not be with us for the second part of our Tales of the Jedi discussion. He had to go like do something, I don't know, have a job, be a dad, be a husband, I don't know, but <laughs> boring stuff, boring stuff. How dare he? How dare no, but we we love Brian and so thankful for all of his time and everything that he was able to contribute to our Ahsoka Dooku tales, real life discussions, everything that Brian said about the institutions and the Jedi and everything. Beautiful thoughts. However, I could not just leave you hanging. Chase and I would not do that. We would not just leave you without somebody, without another special heavy hitter, somebody with one of the biggest brains in this entire space, somebody who's constantly delivering incredible beautiful, gorgeous, thoughtful insights, who's been on the show before during Kenobi season, somebody who I always love talking to, who's constantly amazing me with their depth of knowledge over on Pink Milk. You hear her all the time, randomly just throwing in facts where you're like, how do you know that? And that, of course, is M. M. welcome. Thank you for having me and for that very intimidating introduction. <laughs> but it's true. No, I, I, it is true. 
It is true. And Chase, Chase is there. Chase, they witness it. Like, I do. How many times in a conversation will M just be like, well, you know, it's sort of like, well, this, you know, this philosophy from this place, or it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like the way they design this. I think I was watching Pink Milk once and M was like, well, you know, when they design cities, it was like something like that. I was like, what are you, what? Like, how do you know this? Um, <laughs> and so you're, you're the perfect person to have come in and help us bring the rest of this conversation home. Uh, yes. Because, yeah. much like the rest of us like your connection to the force side of star wars is so strong to mm. the mythic side of star wars is so strong to these characters so we all gave our opening thoughts in segment one but how are you feeling days out as you've processed the dooku side the ahsoka side the entire thing overall how did you feel going in versus coming out of it where are you at with tales of the jedi at this point um i'm still really on board for a lot of things I've already talked about how I love how Disneyfied at the beginning, like the music alone, it sounds like a piece of music from a Disney princess movie. Mm-hmm. And that is just, wow, like this series is really stretching what Star Wars is, mm. you know, to have all those sort of fairy tale elements, like basically a Disney princess story. And I, th- I mean, and we can tell that that was very intentional because they clumped the Dooku episodes together but they split up the Ahsoka ones. This is the intro that they wanted us to have as like the sort of Disneyfication of Star Wars. And I mean that in a very complimentary way. Of a fable. Yes, exactly. Yes. Making a fable like a fairy tale, you know, and it obviously has like so many fairy tale elements. And then, you know, as we get into sort of the meatier parts of the story, Iku and his transformation, which I think was an illustration of sort of the disillusionment and like it's showing his motivations. It was very relatable. And I think that it was always kind of a mystery because, you know, we meet Dooku and then we learn all this stuff about how, and like just the fact that Qui-Gon was his Padawan, you know, it's like you learn that about him and learn that he is a Sith, you know, he's a Sith apprentice. You look at Qui-Gon who we meet as a fully formed Jedi, just like quintessential. Like he's so, he just has this really calm center. He's he's such like an, I think he was obviously very influential to Obi-Wan and Obi-Wan is someone who exemplifies like honor, duty, self-sacrifice and loyalty and steadfastness. And and when we meet Qui-Gon, we see where Obi-Wan has qualities. So to think that someone who was a mentor to someone like Qui-Gon so wrong, I think it was a big task to show that. And I feel like this series did that very effectively. Yeah, it speaks to something Chase said up up top earlier in the episode about the lineage about this this some would i think jared from a nerd academy good friend of ours calls it the disaster lineage mm-hmm. of of yoda <laughs> all the way down to ahsoka this idea that how do we choose stories that inject more life into what is not just the skywalker saga but the skywalker saga and extended family which goes all the way up to yoda which i think was uh, a, a tall order and i think that they definitely succeeded i think those dooku shorts which we've already you know we've analyzed were beautiful in their way and adding to the tragedy and as you all know 
who have listened, the Dooku conversation was impossible to have with also without getting into Ahsoka a little bit. Similarly, with this Ahsoka conversation, that does not mean we're done talking about Dooku because they are one piece. We'll talk about how they connect. But starting with you, Chase, let's start with this first short. This was an interesting one. Did anybody see this at Star Wars Celebration? I did. No, I didn't. No. I didn't. No. Yeah. I, I just had heard all about it, you know, that entire night by everyone who watched yes. it and how excited <laughs> and how excited everyone was and everyone's like, yeah. we get Ahsoka's mom. Like it was a whole thing. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So this was, like you said, talked about already hyped this was sort of the one where people got to see it in the room i remember being in that panel and being shocked that they were ready to show one that they had one and right and the theme statement that dave gave i should note this one directed by nathaniel villanueva written by dave filoni it's called life and death this is the baby ahsoka episode with janina gavankar as pav t ahsoka's mom Am- amazing casting giving more life to the Tegruta people mm. And at the end of the screening, Dave addresses what happens with baby Ahsoka and this big Pokemon Raikou looking beast (laughs) and says, is she using the force or is she just not afraid or aren't they the same thing? You could hear like 2000 Star Wars fans all go, ooh, like that's, yes, that's the stuff. So Chase, yes, you named your dog after this character. I did. You, You probably didn't think you'd ever see. I mean, we've seen, we know that. Plo Koon met Ahsoka as a toddler. Right. But newborn to one-year-old is territory I don't think we ever thought we'd get to see. So how did you process what you were witnessing here? It was honestly, I love the whole setup to Ahsoka's life, but also the series as a whole. Like one of the first sounds we hear is baby Ahsoka crying, like is like the sign of life, of birth and of renewal and like all these amazing like things. It's like the sound of the forest. It's just like it just was so beautifully introduced like her, but also the show as a whole. I think this is probably my favorite of the three Ahsoka episodes. I think that for me, I like you You also hit the hit on this earlier, being able to like have a village of Togruta people and just seeing what this village is like and how these how these Togrutas are living was really, really, really exciting. It is so it's so funny because it, it, I never thought that like I would want so much more of that. But now I'm like ready for like books. I'm ready for comics. I like want more of it because they even though we didn't spend that that much time in that episode in this village with these people, they did such a wonderful job of sort of establishing the principles that these people live by. Do you know what I mean that these Tugrudas mm-hmm. live by? And I think that it was a really impressive thing. So for me, just atmospherically, it established so much without spending too much time to do it. So that was a standout just quality of the episode to me. But I don't know, it was amazing to see Ahsoka like that this young. And it was amazing to see her mom. And it was just amazing to see Ahsoka's mom and watching her mom in this episode is like, it's like when you like visit Disneyland in your dreams or like a place in your dreams that you've been to. And you're like, it's like Disneyland, but it's not like Disneyland. And and like Ahsoka's mom is like, it's like she's Ahsoka, but she's like not Ahsoka. And it's like, <laughs> and it's so great. They just really knocked it out of the park. So I think those are like my opening, opening thoughts about it. Before I throw it over to Em, that that idea of if this is Tales of the Jedi, an aspect of the Jedi, some might say the original sin, some might say it's Mm. just part of it. It sort of depends on the culture, right? Some cultures in this galaxy we know from some of this mythology and lore, like the Togruta, obviously a reverence for this connection with the Force, a reverence for nature, a reverence for the idea of Jedi conceptually 
at the end, I already said it earlier during our Dooku sections, talking mm. about Mace and Dooku, ideas versus institutions. It ends here with Ahsoka is Jedi, not mm. a Jedi, not we should call the order, not we should give her to the Jedi or, or let's see if Plo Koon's available. It's not that. It's she is <laughs> Jedi. And we know that the Miri Allens and Star Wars have a reverence and a relationship with them. But, mm. you know, we don't know what it's like on certain planets like Stujan, where Obi-Wan is from. And Obi-Wan says to little Leia, I think I had a baby brother, but like, we don't know. He was just taken. So to really see what certain peoples and races and aliens are like in relation to the Jedi is sort of where you the tales of the Jedi kind of should start. And it's the kind of yeah. thing that you don't really think about. So throwing it over to you, Em, how, how did you feel with this starting point with like we talked about with this fantasy fable-esque quality to what's going on, but also everything that it was saying about life, about death, about choices, about oneness, nature. I mean, because this is so many things that Dave's already done with Rebels, especially with Ezra, but almost on a, on a poetry like shot of just that energy level. <laughs> well, I mean... I I've done a lot of thinking about this episode makes a nod to perceptions of indigenous cultures and, you know, how they're purported to live in harmony with nature. And the thing is, I mean, I'm putting my words this way because I don't think it's helpful to, you know, God, God forbid we start like the noble savage. Oh, oh. you know, it's, it's a creepy crawly place to go. I think it behooves us to acknowledge cultures that have different relationships with nature than the white Western lens through which it has been traditionally been seen. So I, I'm like, uh, you know, like, it's really cool to see this. And I really hope that indigenous communities can see their like especially like their aunties and other people in portrayals mm. but at the same time i'm kind of like like oh god is this is perpetuating stereotypes i don't know it, it gives me like a funny like twisty feeling in my tummy because i know that there's people that are gonna that's what they're gonna take from it yeah i mean not to like yuck anybody's yum or anything <laughs> no 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 i mean it's a, it's a really <laughs> it's a fine line to walk and we this whole episode like we were obviously we're recording these two parts independently of each other but the challenges and some of brian's disappointment and everything with some of the ahsoka stuff the big controversy notwithstanding which we will talk about um is yeah. sort of like is that what is this adding what is it happening i mean there's what you said there about like the noble savage trope which we've and, and should continue to do a lot of work and there's so much to be done to get away from it it's like where is the line between oh yeah we all enjoy colors of the wind as a song but we <laughs> also should understand the the contexts of which a film like that is made we've got avatar the way of water coming and like the yeah. understanding like gosh it's so fraught you know yeah like whose stories are whose to be telling ah, and it's like it's undoubtable there are teachings that are important for us to learn like like lately i've been hearing friends that are first nations who have been reconnecting with their cultures and there are and a lot of traditions that are shared again after generational trauma and you know attempts at genocide to really open my eyes to the fact that there are very profound elaborate ways of seeing and ways of understanding the world is of putting order to life, like laying a pattern 
order over life and fundamental things that are constructed so differently. And the more we have opportunities learn those ways of seeing and ways of thinking. So yeah, and it's interesting, you know, hearing you say all that, which is beautifully said, and which again, I hyped you up for a reason, like this, <laughs> this the way that you're able to articulate um, and to to highlight the spirit of continuous learning is something that mm. we are, we've become afraid of, we've started to decry intellectual curiosity, cultural curiosity, just empathetic curiosity over time in in society especially in the very like egocentric like americana of it all that we produce the majority of the art and so therefore like well we produce like how could we be wrong like we are the ones that are making it and it's an interesting thing and you know chase chase and i were talking about this idea of people are unnerved and uncomfortable with the the lack of a binary between this was a thing that did good or this was a thing that did bad this was helpful or this was not helpful and the idea that you can introduce something that maybe is not your story to tell that brings that story to the wider stage but then maybe is like but then also who should be taking it forward a great example is like the character of like ms marvel who gets to tv this year and it's a it's a really beautiful and a beloved show and it's out of ms marvel's two co-creators it was the creator of color who was the executive producer on the show not the actual woman who wrote ms marvel in the comics who is white and she still mm -hmm. got her due she still got her co-creator credit as she should and gets a little cameo in the show but it's like thank you for your help but at what point should it be like this ahsoka story is one that we should tell because it is interesting and it is compelling and it does it is thematically resonant but who do we have in-house that is sort of checks and balances right and and is sort mm -hmm. of and that's something that you know we could sort of a little bit have the conversation now because this is super flowing like the idea of if we look at Lucasfilm's leadership like they've done a lot of work to diversify and they've done a lot of work to to bring women into higher positions of authority within the company and everything and they have even created a position uh, the director of diversity and inclusion her name is Queen Dechonku pronunciation I apologize if that was incorrect, but you know, phonetically, this this position, it almost is like, okay, well, you did that. But when it comes to something like the erasure of episode three or episode six, episode three of Ahsoka's or a story like this, it's like the idea of attempting it is one thing, but then who's in the room, who's doing what? when it comes to something like Dave saying, I gave them these notes and I'm simply using my notes again. It's like, is there inherent malice in that? No, but at then, then the conversation needs to be, well, what did they do with your notes and what needs to be held on to mm -hmm. from your notes? Like, mm -hmm. you can't say... I gave these to you a few years ago and then just be like, I'm going to use them again. No, the due diligence would then be all right, well, let me see what they did with these notes. And is there anything that needs to be a fixed point? Um, and again, I'm saying that as a white passing Puerto Rican cishet guy. So it's not my place to speak for anyone, nor am I trying to. But I just feel like a lot of it is like, like we said with Brian in the first part, there is, it's not like you made a mistake, therefore you bad. Like that's not, mm -hmm. that's, that's not the simplification. And again, I highly mm -hmm. just watching Chase's video. So when it comes to this story of an indigenous people like the Tegruda, or when it comes to the stuff in episode six, it's like, yeah, you, the canon of it all, canon is always like this mythological flexible thing. And like, that's all fine, well, and good. 
and like it, it, are those the characters like no they're not they're they don't even have names but it's just that idea of somewhere along the way I, I don't know maybe it is this director of diversity and inclusion that is on the leadership page that should say oh that's happening okay let's have a conversation here so mm-hmm. oh, dave so yeah here are your notes back but also we need you to know that this was added this was added and this was added and we have to stick on that there's there's miscommunications happening more than it seems like because it's like i'm like we brought up the Martez sisters in the first part. That's another story where it's like, I was so happy to see these two Latin women created and brought into this story that were originally one white guy. So it's like, yeah, that's a step forward in terms of the creation and the process. But then you can make steps forward and steps back at the same time, even when you are trying to do good. So Chase, if you want to speak to that as well, um, from the idea of this short being an indigenous story, that was told by saying like oh they're aliens you know it's like it's like the avatar mm-hmm. thing it's like well that doesn't really get you out of it well first and foremost i you know defer all op- opinions on the on the matter to like you know, just looking up you know if there are any indigenous um fans who have opinions on that and 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 also another element to it feel safe enough to be able to express those opinions online which is a huge thing huge huge thing um i've had i've had actually a few and this is something I just bring up really quickly because I think it's important to talk about that people don't talk about enough where it's like I've had fans that I had Star Wars fans that I've worked with behind the scenes to get certain stories out or to, start to talk about certain topics and a lot of people don't feel comfortable and this is mainly like you know people from marginalized communities don't feel comfortable engaging in certain conversations online especially in fandom and especially in the Star Wars fandom um, but I do think that this episode and sort of what you just mentioned Alden is like it brings up this interesting thing and this is why it's so chaotic right this is why it's such like just sort of like layered upon layer upon layered like experiences watching these stories and, and consuming them and analyzing them and talking about them is because you have like at least three main layers. You have the artist in his studio, meaning Dave Filoni, in his art studio making art. Then you have the corporate level, which is, again, the director of development and inclusion or, or whatever their title was, is like that title is is mainly not not usually I would assume is not diversity in story is not diversity in create in the creative space but there is a corporate level to it too where it's like they're putting out a product they're making a thing that is going to be consumed they're making money off of this like it is it is an IP and then you have like where the story sits in the world culturally and socially and so there's like and and with those three you know chunky layers there's a million sub layers to those and it just kind of creates this very very large map of things to navigate in talking about it because an artist should have the right to make the art that they're making. Do you mean like it, it? it is it is art for art's sake. An artist is creatively expressing themselves. They are making a thing. And Dave Filoni, Ahsoka is his character, famously so. He is her dad, you know. That, so there's there's a lot to like Dave Filoni ha- should have a, a, a certain amount of creative autonomy as the artist in this situation and in, and in his studio and making his art. Um. But then you have the corporate stuff that gets in the way where it's like, and not gets in the way in a bad way. It just it's just it's a part of the equation where it's like because it's a corporate IP, there are other there are, or other stories been told like a like yeah. E.K. Johnson's novel. Does the left hand know what the right hand's doing? Right. The, and that's the and that's what we were saying off air is like, we're never going to get hard answers to this. And I don't want right. to be that guy that's like telling the fandom. I'm not telling you how to feel. I'm telling you right. what to expect, which is that right. If you think there's going to be a press release, probably not ever going to happen. If 
if you think probably, there's going to be a like unless he's point blank ass like Ashley Eckstein was. Yeah. You're probably not going to because, again, it is fully possible that he was like, here's a stack of notes seven, yeah. eight years ago. Yeah. And then probably never read it. Probably doesn't. He might not have yeah. known who Kadeen was until this week. Yeah. So and like, honestly, like to me, if you're if you're if you're creative in a corporate space, I think that you do have an obligation mm -hmm. to do that extra work, especially mm -hmm. by the way, if there's like certain privileges at play, which I won't get into. But like, I do think that like if you're in a corporate space and like a character is being shared across different media, like there is like if you want to go the extra mile and be that person, you can or you can just be like, well, I'm an artist and I created this character so I could do what I want. Like you can do and them both are valid, but I would probably have not done what he did or what I'm assuming him to have not done, no, which is yeah, read the book. I agree. But, and that's that's due diligence, right? Like we see right. like the shared sort of aspect of lots of characters now, like Higher Republic is a great example of that's it started with five. Now it's like nine or ten different people that yeah. are all playing. And they all they all have who's obviously like like Buriaga is definitely more Charles's yeah. than others and and Orla is definitely more Claudia's then but even right. then there's still like the hey what are you doing with them hey what are their pronouns hey what is yeah all you need yeah. is that due diligence and see yeah and that brings me to like the third layer which is where your story is sitting in the world and in the in 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 2022 in the context in which your project is being released that's where I think my ending result emotionally is feeling disappointed because if you're putting out a piece of media in 2022 wouldn't you want a to do your due diligence just because it's a your job and from my perspective it's your job but two is like why you know why not create opportunities for inclusion but that also doesn't stand up because we don't know if he knew right but whatever but the point is it's like there's that, that, that social factor too where it's like saying yes not only saying yes to inclusion that already exists but creating more and more inclusion having inclusion be an organic default not a default because it's like what we should be doing but but understanding the, the inherent importance and significance in it contextually in 2022 so I just yeah. find that those three those three layers kind of muddy the waters on any topic like this and especially when we do not have all the information and that's kind of like where I stand on, I guess, episode one and episode three. Yeah, I, I was going to save the three conversation for when we got to it, but I feel it is relevant, you know, to to the points that M so beautifully brought up about whose stories are who's to tell, who gets to do what. I mean, there's the there's the it's the weird element that I don't want to get too far into it because I'm, I haven't read up on the situation, but it's like it's a it's a situation where the person whose book we are defending also maybe has stepped in worse uh, <laughs> poodoo than the person who so. So it's like even she's having the battle. She being E.K. Johnson is having the whose stories are yours to tell. Like that's yeah. going to be a thing that's constantly happening. It just needs to be ironed out. And again, it's about details. It's about due diligence. It's about accountability on all sides. And it mm. needs to get to the point where yeah. our default is, well, of course, we're just making that, which is why something like the Acolyte is so exciting, because that's Ooh. just that's just hardcore top to bottom. Like it's yeah. built into the fabric. It's not somebody yeah. else. That's why I, I'm excited that on the Ahsoka series that one of the directors of that show, Peter Ramsey, is a black man. He, he mm -hmm. did Into the Spider-Verse. Like he's able to bring that because Ahsoka is coded um, yeah. as a, a, a woman of color. The idea of being able to approach things in good faith, it does not mean like hashtag cancel Dave Filoni party. It right. just means... <laughs> 
go and hey, I, I love this guy's work. I think this is this is a misstep. I can say this. I've got a Dave Filoni t-shirt in my closet. Yeah. I think this is a misstep. And you can yeah. have both those at the same time. And I think right. that makes people uncomfortable. Like, yes, is is my favorite guy, is my band, is my favorite artist, is my favorite singer, is my whatever suddenly no longer who I thought no. So, I mean, sometimes, yeah, sometimes yeah. If, if, if your favorite, if your favorite <laughs> movie producer was Harvey Weinstein, then yeah, you, you definitely, yeah. you know, you, you, you got, you got a little bit of that, but it's, right. sometimes it's, it's just as much as saying the times are changing, just it's always a learning experience. And the other thing is that book's published in 2016, right? Right. So we can assume that those notes are from like 1415 because they were notes from Clone Wars stuff that no one ever thought was going to get made. Even 15 to 22, just mm. like the world has taken strength. Yeah. So then it's a matter of if I took my notes back, look at my own notes, even dependently right. of the novel. Like maybe that's the right. Hey, go down to the animators that are doing your thing. Hey, let's make sure I want to see I want to see a diverse village. I want to see this. Yeah. I want to see that. So there's there's all of those notes. But I'm glad we had the episode three conversation here. It organically fit in. Um, we'll continue to have it as it, as it pops up. Yeah. Um, but continuing about this short here, the first one. And again, if anybody has information that like just knows more about about uh, Queen Denchwoku's uh, director of diversity and inclusion job, let us know or about anything that's happening. Maybe at your jobs about diversity and inclusion, how those things are working. I'm um, mm. very curious about that ongoing evolution. But in terms of life and death. In terms of this first short, um, going back to you, Em, what are some things that you liked about the character of Pavti, about the story, about those little, like, are they little b dogs, bears? I'm not exactly sure, but I love them. Uh, <laughs> they're like tuka dogs, kind they're of. Like, like tuka pandas. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, tuka red panda kind of deals. Mm -hmm. yeah, like, yeah. So how did you feel about the, the story that, having said whose story it is to tell, when you look at it on the on as much of the Star Wars lens as you can, what do you think it added to the story of the Jedi to Ahsoka? And how did it make you feel? Also, from the perspective of if you would like to talk about it, same thing I said to Brian, you're also a parent. And so you also have this <laughs> element of like, you have had the this, this surprise of like, oh, my child just did that. Like, you know, about a great. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So yes, things I liked about the episode. Um, I really liked, well, I liked how badass Pavti was. Mm -hmm. Um, like her her fighting process was amazing. But you know what? It's interesting that you bring up the parenting thing because she was surprisingly calm when Ahsoka was carried away. <laughs> like, if that was my child, I would have torn myself to pieces to get them back, like immediately. So I thought it was an interesting story choice to kind of have that moment be a little understated and like not quite as over the top and dramatic. And what you said about Dave talking about how is it that Ahsoka is so powerful in the force or is it just that she didn't she wasn't afraid, you know, and she was willing to just kind of be in the moment and have this serenity in the face of mortal danger made me think about it actually made me think about the second Ahsoka story because I was trying, like, whenever I watch it, I was trying to think about Ahsoka's state of mind when she's training and when she's trying to fend off this almost impossible barrage, you know, from blasters, like, 
And I was just thinking about like in the His Dark Materials books, the author sort of writes into the story, the idea that the mind can come into this flow state. And I think some people call it the beta, the beta state, actually, because like apparently the brain waves are called like beta waves. And it's a moment when you're like in flow and you kind of feel this unity with the universe and people who enter that state, you know, like athletes do it, you know, when they're so fully in their muscle memory. Is this like in Soul? Is this like in Pixar's Soul? Did anyone else watch that besides me? I never even when watched it. I did not see uh, it. I'm sorry. I've heard wonderful things. Uh, okay, pause. Yeah, we're gonna we do, we're gonna do a Soul commentary real quick. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> there's a that exactly what you're describing happens in the film. I won't I won't get too much into it. But the idea of when the connectivity reaches a point that it's instinctive and when it just mm. becomes mm-hmm. like you're it, you can call it out of body you can call it anything but that it's, it's inherently mythic right like i haven't read the his dark materials novels even though everyone my entire life has told me that i would enjoy them and i should probably get around to it eventually if maybe if star wars would take a break from publishing for audiobook longer, them yeah, I, I really should <laughs> i should audiobook them um or i'll just call you and you can read them <laughs> it's, it's bedtime read me the story um but it's sort of it's that mythic moment of obi-wan versus maul okay, my master's dead, like, it's on. It becomes the next level. It's Neo in the Matrix when he's able to block all of Smith's blows without actually seeming like he has to put... It's the Avatar state. It's all of those things. So continue. I just was jumping in because I want to talk about soul. Um, Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) What I was saying is that that state is part... You know, like, I love how all of your examples are so, like, epic and mythical when, like, that state is something that is accessible to people. Like, you know, when people people are creating art, you know, like, like you mentioned when people are making music, you know, and like, and I, I've experienced that when I was performing dance, you know, it's like when you rehearse a dance over and over and over again, and you just are able to let your mind go from telling your body what to do and just feel the emotion, live inside the emotion and express emotion through the movement. Right. And so I was just thinking about how similar that seems to the way that Dave was talking about the force being, you know, and it just goes into, it just goes into you know, this idea that they keep hinting at, especially with newer Star Wars properties about how the force is not something that belongs to the Jedi. It's it's something that is on some level accessible to everybody. And it's something that touches everybody's lives and touches everybody's consciousness to a certain extent. Yeah, like did Ahsoka get out of this peril by being super extra special princess of the day? Or did she get out of this situation by accessing a deeper power that is ultimately accessible to everybody and is sacred. And with those two things, that's a synthesis of those ideas is everybody extra special princess of the day when their moment comes, when that moment, like, is it does everybody have that potential? And I think Star Wars is arguing in a lot of ways that they are because we because we have been in the Skywalker saga since 1977. They feel like the rule, but they they are they are the exception. There is no Fisto dynasty. There is no Mundi dynasty. Windu. There is no uh, Plo Koon and his <laughs> and his kids and his grandkids. The Skywalkers are the exception. So when you look at this idea of like even the 
there's no Tano's like we've seen her family now they were regular people this idea that that it comes from within on such an innate level we talked about it in part one uh, of the discussion with Dooku like when Luke tells Rey to say that if the light uh, the Jedi die the light dies is vanity and how someone like Mace Windu probably does think that if the Jedi die the light dies <laughs> and how that plays into the institutionalism a child is pure there is no there is no inherent bad in them and there's a a, a wonderful adaptation of the Santa myth and story uh, called Klaus that Grant Morrison wrote uh, and Grant has been uh, they've been at the, the forefront of so much change and and always pushing the boundaries in the realm of comics and then they get to this point in their career uh, where they're older and they're like I'm gonna tell Santa Claus story and we were like what and then you read it and Santa faces down with the Krampus and Santa's like big moment of triumph is this the Krampus is like I'm gonna get basically I'm paraphrasing he was like I'm going to get the bad children and Santa says there is no bad child mm. or there are no bad children mm. and that is like the unpacking of that entire idea and how that becomes the mythic figure and we saw that even like George it was closer to the end of George's career so he never really dove into it too much but in Clone Wars there's that little baby Rodian that's using the force and floating that ball and everything <laughs> like for them it is natural it's life that puts cynicism in you it's life yeah. that that makes you feel like you can't believe it's it, the fact that like the Jedi are wrong for taking children and sort of having their institutional church-esque element but they're not wrong when they say you can be too old to be open that's not necessarily wrong because a child would never if it was a child Luke on Dagobah he would have been like of course I can lift the x-wing it's right a, it's a 20 something year old man that is saying that he doesn't believe and I think that the idea that I mean how many of us when we were kids thought we could be eight different things like I want to be an astronaut who plays yeah. piano and is also a dancer but is also a cook <laughs> like that that is inherent and that gets beaten out of you and what's special about Ahsoka is that it never got beaten out of her. And that's what I love about what this baby, like this baby Ahsoka is emotionally consistent with Ahsoka in Rebels. Yeah, it really, honestly, you bringing that up also highlights it. Like when we were talking about this idea of flow and being in that, in that, really sacred state the examples we were giving the adult examples we were giving were like musicians or athletes or think or people basically who rehearse or like m talks about her experience dancing and it's interesting because as we were sharing those examples all those examples that were adult had elements of rehearsal to them and practice and repetition but children don't need that they can they're the intuit like the intuitiveness is there to just access it. But because it, you know, it has been socialized, I guess, out of us and, and beaten, you know, being down just in, in the loss of innocence and growing up and everything, we, we, you know, I mean, but there's also elements of obviously you have to perfect a skill, you know, you have to rehearse a monologue a million times before you can kind of get lost in the words that you're saying. I don't know. It's just, it's, there's an interesting thing where it's like we, we were talking about it as adults in context of adults and this idea of practice and repetition. And yet, Baby Ahsoka and children in general have sort of like an easy access and well, I don't want to get too woo woo, but you know, pets and animals also have like there's this there's I think a an interesting correlation between the <laughs> what is too woo woo. <laughs> I was about to I was about to start going down like a paranormal route and sense and sensitivity towards the parent. You don't even want to know where my brain was going. <laughs> I, I I I gotta say I'm pretty curious. My dog is sitting up here, but but I think that there is a not to put words in your mouth, but are, are you getting toward that idea of like purity 
that exists within a form within a certain form and how they something that is that like we say all the time like oh dogs and cats they love unconditionally our pets love us unconditionally Mm. that children almost believe and act unconditionally Mm. right i think so yeah because they have no they have no concept of consequence of like you know there's no way for them to act selfishly or to act over i'm not altruistically but you know there's no way for them to act to act in a way in which they would like have any control over a situation like there's no sense of control it's just it's just it's just a it's a flow i mean kids just exist do you mean they're raw they're sort of yeah and malleable that's what i love about sort of the picture that star wars has been painting lately with its youngest youngest teeny tiny characters uh grogu is a great example where grogu yes grogu is so much instinct and you can see what grogu's learning by season two yes. he knows oh dad's <laughs> about to get real let me close the pram so like grogu is capable <laughs> Capable of learning different things, but Grogu season one, oh, dad's about to get hurt. It's instinctive. Like, I need to protect. Yeah. It does the force choke. But then, yeah. as Grogu meets Frog Lady and Frog Lady and Mr. Frog show Grogu the miracle of life, then that appreciation grows into. And when Luke has Grogu and he's like, Grogu, mm. like, put <laughs> the frog down, yeah. like, shows him all the other frogs. He, cause he's showing Grogu, like, look, there's a lot of them. Like you can't, there, there's a family here too. There's a community here too amongst these frogs. And how does Grogu then apply that? He sees the rancor and he's like, oh, that's a baby like me. Like yeah. he just, just needs a nap. Kids <laughs> function in that way yeah. that is so one-to-one-to-one pure. Little Leia does that in Obi-Wan. Like a hundred percent. In yeah. the finale of Obi-Wan before it gets real for Obi-Wan and he has to go face Vader. She's like, I don't want people to be afraid. And then she slips Lola into Obi-Wan's cloak. Cause it's like that. Like that is that is like such a moment. <laughs> that is such a moment. Kids, yeah. kids project in the most pure. Like, and like you don't have to get like so real, like that we all start crying. But like, how many times, like being a parent, do you just do you get that moment where it's like the child cannot know how profound the moment is, <laughs> right? That's something, that, that's something that only an adult can perceive. Truly, but it's sad yeah. that like we perceive it. Like we're saying, we're giving adult examples. We're talking about an innocence that all of us inherently can't have anymore which is i think why we like these it's why we get excited about the baby version like yeah everyone listening can be cynical oh that's corporate they just gave you something you already liked and they made it cute and chibi and uh and it's like yeah uh you're you're very clever you're very clever for understanding that that it's a business like whenever someone's like you know they just gave obi-wan a new outfit because they wanted to sell you toys i'm like yeah lucasfilm is not a non-profit like yeah and and also and also it doesn't rob like it's like yes grogu is highly clearly highly marketable but it doesn't it doesn't like subvert the narrative func- like his narrative function in Star Wars as a mythology and the profoundness to it yeah exactly and I feel that way about Baby Ahsoka too so yeah uh, before we move on does anyone else have any last thoughts about this one any anything that jumps out that maybe we didn't talk about well I'll just say really quickly um I thought I was really surprised at how much they really showed the ugliness of hunting and the Mm. and like the sort of the scariness of it i mean they they spent extra shots on the gun they spent extra shots on how pretty that animal was that got taken out you know what i mean and so i just thought like they really there was death obviously in the way that an animal was killed but there but they really like focused on it i just found it to be very jarring how dark like a lot of that was they really let 
that they let hunting be what it is. You know what I mean? They really, really mm. kind of, that's the only thing that was like really stuck out to me too. Yeah. And in a 15 minute short, they're not going to have the script real estate to have the conversations of right hunting for sport versus hunting for sustenance and, and for the need of the community, for the resources and right. everything. And, and know, ritual. Yeah. Rich ritualism. Yeah. But yeah. You, and, and a lot of stories have touched on that and how you can have respect for the dead and everything. And like, that's it's there thematically, but you're right that it does go hard. Right. And it is and it is dangerous. It is like it does uh, spark in you the same sort of like much like with whatever Grogu is in danger. You're like, oh, my God, like your instincts start to kick in a little bit, which I think is a perfect segue into the second one. So, Em, I'm going to throw it over to you again to start us on Practice Makes Perfect, something you already started to explore. This short was very interestingly written, written by Dave again, directed by Saul Ruiz. This one was clever in that it used Star Wars fan knowledge, I think, against us in a fun way, which was I see her and I'm like, okay, she doesn't get the second lightsaber till season three. So I know where I am. And then it does the blackout, wake up. Oh, yes. now I'm in season. Now I'm past season three. And then the final one, oh, wow, we're actually in season seven going into a scene yeah. that I've already seen. So it, it played in a way that I thought was cleverly written and directed. How did you feel about this one? What it did also for... Ahsoka for Anakin Skywalker for Rex for everyone involved. I found it like to be this sort of very spicy morsel. Like, you know, have you ever like bitten into something and it was like your head's been hit with a gong, you know? Like <laughs> interesting. <laughs> like that's how it made me feel. And you exclusively mean food, right? Like it's a, a, it can't yeah. be anything else. It's food. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I'm Yeah, you I, know, like you know, you know, like those Korean peppercorns that are just like really like extreme. Okay. Mm. Yeah, I sort of get what you mean. Just like uh, just a shock straight to the taste buds. No, no, no build up. Just bam. Exactly. Like, which I guess is sort of the that's the Anakin Skywalker way. No build up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> truly. It just felt so it was I found it very satisfying. Like I love the like seeing Anakin late of course like disaster Anakin was, was great you know and Obi-Wan being sassy and sarcastic like always like it's just so like oh okay this is so familiar even just seeing the other Jedi Masters there in the during the training session like seeing that back that background shot of like Depa Balaba back there mm. and like but you know I I I got a little my tummy did a little twist in the middle because like Anakin is being so hard on Ahsoka, mm. like so hard. Like the fact that immediately as soon as she gets up, like she doesn't even get water, you know, like mm. she gets up and right away it's like again, 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 again. So not only is she, it's, it's almost like one step forward, two steps back. It's like, mm. okay, so she's gaining skills and she's learning to trust her instincts and she's getting better with every round, but she's also getting more tired. And like, there's, and there's a, like, there's a shot where she gets up and she can like barely keep her eyes open. You can tell, you know, that was a choice. Yeah. And it's like, okay, yeah, like we're seeing how tough and badass Ahsoka is, but we're also seeing how hard Anakin is willing to be on her. 
Yes, that's what makes me think of something that you said, Chase, in in the first part of as much as these are like, we didn't just pick two out of a hat. We chose Dooku and Ahsoka for a reason if, for this first season of this. But the other character, the co-stars are just as important too. Yeah. Pop T, Ahsoka's mom, has to be the character there. Mace Windu yeah. has to be the character in that Dooku episode. It has to be Anakin here. There were many masters. This could have been a fun Obi Ahsoka adventure. It could have been Ahsoka and Plo with their relationship. But it had to be also something for Anakin on two levels. One, which I think is a, it's an underexplored aspect of Anakin, which was that for as much as his childhood with Shmi imbued some of his greatest aspects in him, I also think that Anakin has a being a, an actual, like having been a slave, having been like having lived through that system, having brushed with death before we even met him. Like you mm-hmm. get that line in Phantom Menace of like, you know, he's never finished a race and that he's crashed before. And like this idea that he's constantly like being a slave on Tatooine, he's constantly been brushing with abuse and with feeling like everything could be torn from him in yeah. a second. Like I think that I can't remember the dialogue exactly. Some someone who like knows Phantom Menace backwards and forwards can yell at me about it. But I think the idea is that like the slaves on Tatooine, it's kind of like a suicide squad thing. Like they have bombs like mm. implanted in them or something like that. Like Anakin has constantly been living under the threat of horror and. Mm-hmm. As we've moved now through his training years, Attack of the Clones, I think that an empathy has been gained in Anakin Skywalker, but also a certain level of empathy has been lost, especially on the second level I wanted to address, which is Anakin Skywalker's training with Ahsoka here is for her, but it's also... A middle finger to the order it's, oh yeah it's a it's it's a much about like he's, he's he's being truthful when he says i want you to be able to defend yourself i believe him wholeheartedly but there's a part of him that he's not even acknowledging which is the screw them screw the way they do things i know better yeah. i know i know better their methods are weak their methods yeah. are fallible and he's taking that all out through this training regimen that he's developed with rex and the other clones and and i think that he believes believes if I can do a, if I can train her to a better level than their tests train other Jedi then I'm right then I have mm. proven myself because he's always trying to prove himself and when they were paired in the 2008 Clone Wars movie as Brian said in part one when that little snippy girl walked down those <laughs> steps like Yoda paired them to teach lessons as he mm-hmm. says I'm, I'm pairing them so that way they can learn to let go but Anakin's learning the wrong lessons. He sees Ahsoka as his, I can make her the best. Like Anakin's become sports dad. So really, I'm glad you brought that up. And it is, it is very much sports dad to the ultimate, like the, you know, up to degree. And it kind of, I think maybe the emotional impact on Ahsoka almost had the opposite effect in a, in a good way where, because you really see her one of the most compelling parts of this episode for me is the fact that you really see how she will, she'll do it because she wants to make Anakin proud. And she wants to make him feel good. He, She wants him to make sure she's doing it for herself, but she really is also doing it for Anakin. And because she knows it's something that Anakin wants her at a certain level and she wants to do it for herself, but she also wants to do it to be at the level Anakin wants her at. And I'm curious as to like, if this is a moment for her at all in her emotional life where she's like, I, I don't know. It, it, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of inclined to think, I don't know, I don't know if there's any contextual evidence for this in the episode, but I'm kind of inclined to think that this is a moment for her where she's like, you know, we don't see her once she gets it down. She gets it down by like, you know, order six. We just kind of jump straight to order 66. But I wonder if there's ever a moment towards the middle where she was like, I can't like just keep like doing everything 
you know, I can't just keep trying to hit this like impossible bar. You know what I mean? Or I just like she she'll doesn't make what I'm saying makes sense in a way. It does make sense. And I and I almost wonder if if we have the answer and the answer is when she leaves. Like, I almost think that her leaving, walking away from the Jedi Order, I wonder if it's like, I think that she knows I did fulfill and as she would prove in Order 66. And that's the great irony of the whole episode. That's what everyone, you know, that's what everyone was pointing out just based on the trailers. You saw the side-by-side gifs of like, oh yeah. my God, Anakin taught her how to survive the onslaught that he was a part of. Like the yeah. irony is you wanted her to be the best. You succeeded and she was able to survive. What exactly? You. She was yeah. able to survive you and Palpatine and all these things. So, but to answer your question, I think that that moment does come. It just comes so silently. And now when we rewatch season five, we can apply this yeah. to the, I did everything you wanted, master. I did these drills and look, and they still judged me the way they did. Yes. And it also speaks to a really nice foil between Anakin and Ahsoka, where again, this idea of them learning lessons from each other, Anakin did not learn learn to not give into attachment ahsoka maybe this is a maybe this is part of her journey in in letting go of attachment because i think she i think you have to have a i think she has to have had a certain level of attachment towards anakin mm. in order to put herself through what she's putting herself through to hit that bar does that make sense oh, yeah. and so i think that there's also some proof in the pudding in terms of she she understands non-attachment a lot more than anakin and it provides a nice fo- a nice foil against him Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the the idea of Snips and Sky Guy, they are probably the most attached pairing of their time. Yeah. But she is doing better than him in that way. And you know, there's as she grows and and becomes you know a woman of her 30s and 40s by the time of like Rebels Mandalorian, you can make the argument of well, her helping Sabine now go search for Ezra is that an attachment thing? When she's talking yeah. to, to Din and Grogu, she says like I've seen what could happen to the best of us. Like is that pain? But is that pain? Is that attachment? Those are all up for debate. But I I really do think now rewatching Clone Wars seasons one through five, it's like now we have a further context for how like her betrayal stings more because she dug deeper because she followed Anakin. Oh yeah. She followed Anakin on his unconventional training path, but he couldn't follow her walking Mm. away. And I think that that says a lot. And, and before I throw it over to you, there's also the note of the fact that Caleb Kanan is watching, at least when this starts, is watching her first test and how their relationship down the road. And, you know, yeah, that was a, I think I addressed it already in part one, but the canon note of, but he wouldn't have been <laughs> Depa's Padawan at the, just use your imagination. You know how many Jedi watch <laughs> other people doing stuff throughout this entire time? But yeah, and maybe it was like an orientation, like a yeah. soft opening. Like they just like started to get to know each other. You never know. <laughs> yeah, you know, so, yeah, exactly. I love, yeah, soft opening. Like, hey, you want to come check out a, so, I heard this is Anakin's Padawan. That's probably an event, you know, the idea. Yeah, that Anakin has a that's something we've never seen. I want to see the Jedi meetings where they find out Anakin Skywalker is training someone now. Uh, yes, like bets on how long that lasts. <laughs> like we'll see, but but uh, M, yeah, con- continue to help us explore this this idea of, of the training, how it evolves, and some of the the dark implications. The fact that Jesse, the clone Jesse, is there, and he's the one that will carry out this order against her and how it fits sort of into that tapestry. Oh, yeah. I mean, that callback was so poetic. Yeah, as soon as they were doing the training sequence and he was like, oh, yeah, Jesse tagged you real hard. I was like, oh, 
<laughs> you know, because it's like we're watching all of this in the context of people who have already seen season seven, right? That was tough. Like I said, like it felt like this this episode just really gripped me. It felt like an emotional journey. I really love what you said about how this this was like an F you to the <laughs> to the Jedi, like, and the council specifically. I mean, because when Anakin says it, it makes so much sense. It's like, if you want to be an extraordinary Jedi, you can't just accept the training that everyone else has. Right. You have to go beyond. Mm -hmm. You know, it may, and it's just like, why didn't Yoda think of that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a partial, like, that's a great point. But then also, are you making that great point for the right reasons? Like, you can... Well... You can be right. And, and it's Anakin like... Anakin rarely does things for the right reasons. <laughs> exactly. Like, Anakin, <laughs> like you said, disaster Anakin. Like, a guy who is constantly... <laughs> doing great things but is is burdened by i mean even we talked about how it's it changes ahsoka's leaving this short this short changes uh you are on this council but we were not grant you the rank of master think about yeah. that yeah. if they it let's yeah. now have fun headcanon for a second if they get word that palpatine wants to have a representative on the council we can now assume maybe this is the kind of stuff that comes up like mm. he wouldn't even yeah. follow the training regiments he mm. was putting his power yes. on through his own courses he was going rogue like this adds to the yeah. element of anakin skywalker as the problem child of the jedi yes i totally. hope i really hope we get like more stories about Qui-Gon and and parallels between Qui-Gon and Anakin at some point. Like I it just in the non-traditionalness of there's the Jedi. A, there's a season two right there. Girl, I'm saying give it to me. I want it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That would be an incredible because again, that that's one of the greatest tragedies. Like as Dave yes. said, Qui-Gon is the father Anakin needs. Yeah. And yeah. An Anakin sees Obi as a father and obc's anakin as a brother and mike chen beautifully yeah. explored that and brotherhood of where's that in between and how you how can you be both because i like i have an older sister who's eight years older than me she's my sister but she was also kind of my parent my other parent yeah. and that that can, that is possible yeah i mean if qui-gon yeah qui-gon and anakin it just it makes me so angry i know one like, day <laughs> one day i need like a what if movie like a full feature film what if scenario with those guys i feel like qui-gon was like like, cause you know, cause, and they had so much in common. And, and I think that I, I feel like a lot of the affinity that Qui-Gon felt for Anakin that led him to, to go to the extent that he did to like gather him. I think that, I think part of that was that he saw some of himself in, in, in young, little, tiny little Anakin Skywalker, you know? And I, I feel like Qui-Gon had that sort of sense of playfulness too and mischief. Yeah. Oh, like Qui-Gon, I mean, even in the first in the first Dooku short, we see Padawan Qui-Gon. He appeals. It's something that I've been saying constantly. I've like become a broken record. Tales of the Jedi for me is about your best instinct or your worst instinct. And it's about how Dooku gets to the point of mm. choosing his worst and how yeah. when push comes to shove in the last Ahsoka one, which we're about to get to, she chooses her best. And... Yep. When Qui-Gon was present, he was he stops Dooku from crossing the line. He says he sees in the in the village the potential for better. He sees sort of the the grander picture, which he would always see, which is why Qui-Gon did not take a seat on the council. It's why yeah. he stuck by Obi-Wan. It's why he did all the things that he yeah. did. I yep. think you're 100 percent right. And in terms of how it connects to Anakin here, even in particularly in this 
in this practice makes perfect short is that Anakin was without someone that understood him and which has been a constant Anakin theme and that pushes him toward conclusions like like that means that one day Anakin was sitting at Padme's apartment or whatever and he was like their training method sucks mm-hmm. and I, and therefore I have to I, I must shoulder now the entire burden of creating one that works better if he'd had someone that understood him that could have been a conversation right and, and right. Qui-Gon yeah. was that person Qui-Gon meets this nine-year-old boy and sees how he has internalized Shmi's lessons of mom you always say the problem is that no one helps anyone that's the type of stuff that Qui-Gon you can see had when he was yeah. younger and it's beautifully played by yeah. by Michael Richardson, Liam Neeson's son. And that, yeah, that, that would be a great season two. Yaddle and I think Yaddle and Ray would be a great season two. I think that <laughs> there are so yeah, many truly. pairings, so many pairings that I think theme wise would just be yeah. bangers um, yeah. that I would love. But before we can get to season two, we got to end this one. Mm-hmm. So as sad as it is to say, I, oh, I hate that this was such a short thing. I almost wish it was like, <laughs> we gave you 10 Jedi stories. And, like, <laughs> and who knows what will happen? Obviously, we've had the real world conversation. We can continue to have it if anybody has anything specific that they want to bring up about it. Um, Again, Chase's video linked below. Pink Milk discussions. Check those out for sure. We had a great conversation about this the other night on uh, the Nerd Academy podcast at the time of this recording, where Jared, who Jared Bachman Stubbs, who's a wonderful and proud uh, bisexual Star Wars content creator, was giving his feelings on everything about the queer representation and everything or lack thereof um, and the erasure that happened in the short. But this is uh, episode six. Episode three of the Ahsoka section. Uh, Sal Ruiz directing again. Dave Filoni writing. This one is, uh, <laughs> it's so funny. The note on Wikipedia says, this episode loosely adapts the events of, yeah, uh-huh, that's very, girl. Very generous, <laughs> very generous Wikipedia. Yeah, it's I wouldn't even call it an adaptation, it, honestly. It, like it's, 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 just, it's just a retelling of the same story in a different way. It really is, yeah. To yeah. me, this is the, I say this, with full empathy and without wanting to comment on the real book. This is, if you took the book and you had to make the, like, in The Hobbit, like how there's, like, songs, like, that's what this is. <laughs> if you, if you yeah. took the book and you made it a poem, if you took the book and you made it a haiku, if you took the book and you made it a PowerPoint presentation, like... it, It's the elevator pitch of the book to me. It is. And I <laughs> yeah. think that... Uh, yeah. it, Alex and Molly on Star Wars Explained put it well, like the rule has always been screen takes precedent. But really what we've seen is that details take precedent. So it's like now for me, in my mind, that book is that book. But I know what the Inquisitor looks like now. Yeah. I know what the machinery looks like now. I know what the village destruction looks like now. Like outside of it being marred by this controversy, which is deserved. I'm not saying marred like it's some overreaction. There are things that we can take from it. It will always be a, a sore spot and a misstep, but it is cool to finally see that Inquisitor. It is cool to see the way that Ahsoka has internalized uh, a lot of her goodness. I think it's one of the best Kevin Kiner score moments. I think Ashley Eckstein's Ashley Eckstein's voice acting throughout both of them is, is some of her best. I mean, she's constantly mm-hmm. she can step into this character so easily at this point, mm-hmm. but still pushes herself and still finds new depths. And so let's talk about what makes this different, though, than the book, because there is once we get to the farm, it's the novel stuff. But this this Naboo sequence up top is incredible. Phenomenal in and of itself. Yeah. I mean, this I, that I said it already earlier in part one of the of this conversation, mm-hmm. but the she was my friend sent me 
into it because that's such an underrated, yeah. under-discussed relationship. So. Yeah. Em, if you want to start us on on this beginning of placing her there with Bale, with Mothma, we know Jar Jar's there. Like, it's like the pain that Padme lingers over this. Rex can't even attend the funeral, even in disguise because of his face. Something that Boba yeah. will remark about way later in Mandalorian, yeah. like, might recognize my face. Um, talk yep. to me about this. It was uh, <laughs> a lot of pain. Yeah, it was. But it was exactly what I wanted from that. Like, as soon as I saw the procession, like the opening scene, I was like, oh, here we go. Here we are. I Yeah, nothing about it was disappointing. It had everything in it that I wanted. And that line delivery was so poignant. Like it echoed in my mind. And, and it was exactly what I wanted Ahsoka to say. Like I didn't need anything else from that. I But I loved seeing visually that conversation between Ahsoka and Bail and getting another representation of his really paternal energy in like the most healthy way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was very comforting. And yeah. I could see how that moment was comforting to Ahsoka. Absolutely. Especially yeah. because this is Bale, like you say, his paternal energy. Like this is Bale the day, if not the day before he becomes a father. Like this is like he's about to embark on his own journey in that way with this baby that yeah. he's going to bring home to Brea and be like, surprise, we, we, <laughs> we have the daughter. That's a scene we've yet to see that I yeah. love is, is the, we see them sitting, but where's Bale showing up to the, to the palace? Like it's, <laughs> Is there a nurse? Like I need. She's crying. Um, yeah, Bale having his journey there. I think that one of Dave Filoni's strengths as a writer, which I think he he gets from George, is picking moments. Like like you said, you don't need more than she was my friend. You don't need more. I think that the yeah. duel between Ahsoka and the Inquisitor evokes twin sons, Obi-Wan Maul, and how minimalist it is. Like in the novel, she she goes yeah. harder, obviously, and th- that's how you get the purification of the crystals. And maybe that happens off screen. But it's this idea of centeredness, same centeredness from when she was a baby, mm. will will win the day. And small moments like she was my friend, it's like that's a relationship that got sometimes got its due and and further got its due in forces of destiny. They crossed paths there, I think, in one or two of those shorts. And I have to rewatch that show at some point because that was a lot of fun. But the mm. the idea of mm-hmm. their relationship mattered independently of Anakin as these really two really pure beings, the two of them, Mothma, during this time of turmoil yeah. for them all to be there. And I, I yeah. love the idea of Ahsoka now having have adding this to Ahsoka's story when you get to Rebels and she has the realization that Vader is Anakin and everything, like you can only imagine yeah. then what she is emotionally putting together. So again, Chase, I go over to you, my friend, this idea of Ahsoka having been there for a pivotal moment, the way it changes Revenge of the Sith now, the way that we we as fans will know and how this moves in. And you can take us also into uh, the further stuff that happens uh, on the ambiguous farm <laughs> place. <laughs> on, on little like this script just like it just like there's like um what are they called like blank scenes or it's just like a b a b like the whole set just kind of feels like a b a b like just like very nondescript but um what i really liked about this episode i think honestly almost one of the only things i did was the nubu stuff and in relation to bail i just wanted to say i love how um like the moment on nubu really came to um 
recontextualize his involvement in the Ahsoka novel and his so and his involvement in like reactivating Ahsoka's entry into the fight against you know fascism and tyranny in the in the galaxy, but not only in like the obvious su- surface level way where it's like he literally did that and like he taught her a lesson and the lesson lesson kind of came to fruition at the end of the ep- and at the end of the episode, not just that superficial way, but also like what Bale tells her without telling her when she's hiding from the the two people that come over and like there's such a there's such a, a rawness to it because it is probably the first sort of like kind moment and piece of advice and counsel that she has had during the rawest form of this immediate trauma. Do you know what I mean? Like she has never been in a more vulnerable place in the immediate aftermath of Order 66 and of everything that she's going through. Everything. I mean, from from not to cut you off, but like that full context, like from leaving the Jedi Order to then working in, you know, with Trace Rafa and like everything in the lower levels of Coruscant, then it's like, oh, you know, we need you again. And then the Siege of Mandalore and then it's Order 66 and then it's, there has been no peace. No. Or empathy for this young woman in a couple of years. Like it's, it's a lot. Yeah. It is a lot. And that's what I love so much about the way this episode bookended with Bale is because, like I said, there's a there's a, you know, the superficial reading of it, which is great and obvious. And then the deeper meaning is like to me is just like I get to really understand who Bale is to Ahsoka. Do you mean on that emotional level where it's like, imagine having someone like Bale or Ghana say the things that he said to you at that time at the top of the episode, right? And that's why when when you have that conversation at the end of the episode, that is why you pick up the phone. You know what I mean? That is why you, you know, you you kind of, yeah. it, it just really, for me, that was one of the most amazing parts of it was how it really structured the relationship between Ahsoka and, and Bale. And I hope it's something that we get to see in future stories like that relationship specifically i think there's a lot of room for that to happen across multiple different shows that they're working on so yeah that was like one of my favorite parts oh absolutely and and the idea that star wars so much we're seeing this a lot in andor we've i mean i always say we're seeing this a lot in whatever's recent but it goes all the way back to han solo coming back at the battle of yavin it's yes regular people that are adjacent to or removed from the mysticism the active mysticism of star wars that facilitate the 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 breakthroughs and the achievements of like like ahsoka is again she's part of that lineage the disaster lineage she's part of like she was the apprentice of the chosen one she is Mm. directly there mythically i mean dave filoni has presented her as a mythic being more so than really any other capital j jedi outside of anakin i mean she's ahsoka the white she's in but in mandalorian she's got the gray cloak and then what's the production code name for the ahsoka show Stormcrow, which is another name for gandalf in the lord of the rings mythology so Mm -hmm. there's all this like how did she survive Mandalore she's got this Ezra was able to reach her through time like she's had such a magical journey yeah but it was this guy who's just a man who is Bale's just a man and I would like I know there's all these conversations about the ethics of the deep fake facing and like all that and Mm. that's a much bigger conversation but if if it's in her show if it's in Mando if it's in whatever I don't care if there is a moment with Ahsoka and Leia down the road where she can say your father helped me during the I will yep. cry. I will, <laughs> I will be I will be distraught yeah. um, because it is it is sometimes I mean, it just 
sometimes it's just getting to the next day. And yeah. I think what Bale Bale's not saying, come, let's uh let's go take him down, like me, you, Mothma, let's find Obi-Wan. Like it's not that, it's not rousing. It's just saying, Are you ready to be yourself again? Which yeah. is such a such an innate Star Wars question. And it's it's in all of them. It's in every single installment of Star Wars, every iteration. Are you we're seeing this right now in Andor with someone like the character of Kino Loy played by Andy Circus? Like, are you ready to not just be a prisoner? Are you ready to be yeah. yourself again? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean the sequel trilogy with I mean that's that's the whole thing with Ray and Luke. Are you ready to be what I knew you to be, wanted you to be? But then story throws it back in Ray's face and is like, well, are you ready to be who you need to be? This is sort of a moment like that for Ahsoka. And you have many of those mm. moments. So Em, mm-hmm. talk to me more about where this sort of leaves her everything. And then, you know, we talked about it. The farm stuff is it's full of unfortunate context. It's full of all that stuff. But if there is anything from that that you think is is worth highlighting and everything or from the Inquisitor fighting, the Inquisitor knowing her is an interesting note by name. Um, that's just an interesting little canon thing. And then the uh, beheading gate, like, was this uh, the, what actually happened? She there? popped that balloon so fast. <laughs> like what went down there? So, <laughs> and talk to me about the rest of this as we start to wind down. Actually, I want to I want to just go back super quick to what oh, you please. said about about Bale because and about him just being an ordinary guy and the important role that ordinary people play in the epic events of Star Wars. And like, I think it goes back to something that I'm always bloviating about, which is the democratization of heroism in Star Wars and how the message is that heroism is not something you are, it's something you do. It's the choices that you make, you know, and which you've also brought up, you know, about how important choices are, especially in these arcs and Tales of the Jedi, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think that it's really fulfilling and interesting to us when we think about the people, the characters. And I know that it's very compelling to think about the Jedi and Sith and people that are very powerful in the Force. Like, they're very compelling characters, but it would behoove us to think a little bit more about all of the characters who are just ordinary, who are, quote unquote, just a guy, as you say. And yet they do extraordinary things. They exhibit, act, you know, acts of selflessness and, and sacrifice for others. They live lives of service to others like Padme did. The fact that in that deleted scene from Attack of the Clone, she talks about how she put off having a family mm-hmm. so that she could go and be part of the Senate and serve the galaxy and serve her people. About all of the and and you know and I talked also in our episode where we talked in uh, on Pink Milk where we talked about sort of Star Trek versus Star Wars and about how Star Trek has this very utopian vision of humanity and humanity is seen as like this aspirational thing whereas Star Wars tends to focus on the stories of the follies of humanity and the ways that we you know sort of bring about our own downfall and and give into our faults but I also think that there is a lot of hope for humanity in the world of Star Wars when we consider characters who are so ordinary and who have don't have any power beyond you know what we ourselves have access to in our mundane world and yet they accomplish great things through being people who value honor and who are willing to make sacrifices and to live lives of service do you ever just listen to m say things and then 
you're like, I just want to sit and like chew on that and reflect and have a drink. And like, you're, you're spot on. I mean, so many things that you just said that the democratization of heroism, it makes me think of in Ms. Marvel, like, which I think already came up either on air or off air. Hard to keep track sometimes. Yep. Um, but it, good is not a thing you are. It's a thing you do. Yeah. And and the yeah. way that that sort yeah. of becomes the or or even forces of destiny, which was also also came up. Every episode of that opened with Maz Kanata saying, you know, the choices we make, the actions we take. And, That's and, right. And, and that was women that had mystical power. That was the women that were more boots on the ground. That was you know, mm. these different characters that were of different walks of life. But it, it takes sort of it takes everything in to to build that morality play like you're saying like where star trek has this it's high concept fiction of if what would happen if the best of us ascended to this place of, of having these challenges whereas star wars yep. is we have to choose to be the best of us every single day yeah yeah <laughs> it never stops you guys i'm so tired <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's constant it's choices so oh <laughs> this is chase as a jedi like if that gay jedi was a character and let's say like that gay jedi in canon is like c h apostrophe a s e chase mm. Mm. No disrespect. You probably couldn't be on the council, Chase. Not oh, no. No. Oh, more choices. <laughs> I can't do I'd be like, don't you guys ever get tired? Like, that would be me on the council. <laughs> You're like, what about war crimes? I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> Have we just ever tried it anarchy? Out there. <laughs> yeah. What if we just... I don't know. Just ended them. Like, like the idea that they waited the entire Clone Wars and then sent one Jedi after Grievous, not on Chase's watch. Chase would have been like, I want every Jedi on Grievous immediately. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like, have you seen how many arms that guy has? Yeah, yeah. 10, at least 10, one Jedi per arm. Us. Yeah. yeah, like, versus one of him? <laughs> nah. Uh, no, it would be beautifully said. And and again, and, and the episode, I, I do encourage everybody, go read the novel. If anything, if if anything, years down the road, this episode is a, is a good sales pitch uh, for the novel, um, which expands on these themes uh, in great ways. The Bale stuff is expanded. I like the Bale. The, the novel doesn't have the Naboo stuff, which is essential. And that's, I think, the biggest takeaway. Yeah. Um, so yeah. you marry that with that, you know, real world discussions uh, are important and interconnected. But that Naboo stuff is key. There's more R2-D2 in the novel. So if you're excited about that, R2-D2 gets some shine. And the idea of the Inquisitor battle. Now, it being visualized here, I did like the visualization. And like you said, Chase, pop the balloon. Like, <laughs> I remember uh, Nikki and I were having an offer. I was like, okay, did this what it and Nikki was like, is it sort of like Dave being a Lord of the Rings nerd again like mm. the head and everything and then just like decomposition is this a new alien species is yeah. it like Orba Lynn in the higher public who's more of a gaseous being inside of a mm. suit and maybe mm. once Ahsoka punctured the suit this gas form being couldn't we don't know what kind of a quiz or it's possible or is it the, the most brutal answer which is like it's like when Mace beheaded Django and you can assume that Django's head went flying out of the helmet because <laughs> when little boba picks it yeah. up no head plops out so that's yeah. always been the chase did you just realize that i moment? literally just realized that you that's, yes that's, that some people even say you can see the shadow of the head at the bottom of the frame but yeah like when mace he slices his head off with yeah. such fury that it sends the helmet and head flying in different directions so attack i the live clones. wild <laughs> brutal brutal um, moment. 
Yeah, no, what I was going to say about the Inquisitor was um, 10 out of 10 would bang. Yeah, he was, he was um, hot. He was hot. <laughs> Clancy Brown voice performances, I tell you. They do, they add something. Really. Powerful. <laughs> the way he dragged his saber on the ground. I love that. It that was so very, uh, menacing. The very, like, plague doctor and, crow mask. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the bird face was cool. But, you know, I didn't. I didn't find the fight, like, I don't know. I didn't feel miffed about it. I mean, for one thing, Ahsoka didn't have a lot of options because she didn't have her saber. And I mean, also, we've it's already been established, like, in the previous episode that she has combat training far beyond what most other Jedi have received. Mm. <laughs> so it seemed reasonable to me that she would easily win a fight like that and also i don't know i don't know what it is about people who have double-bladed lightsabers but they continue to not understand that their sabers being double-bladed means that that can be leveraged against them (laughs) this seems to be a running theme (laughs) i am all in on style but i did not think about functionality like and and it's a great visual intended or otherwise and i i would have to look back at who directed this rebels episode but when ahsoka fights seven sister who is my girl Mm. i love i love the seven sister that's my Mm. problematic crush um (laughs) when she swings at ahsoka with her double blade and ahsoka just like double hand catches the hilt and activates it like yes this is sort of like the trial run of that like she didn't behead seven sister but it was that moment of without sabers i am not to be effed with in this moment so yeah (laughs) i I thought that that was that was powerful and again just ahsoka's story is one of the more complete star wars stories of all time i mean she's in her voice is in the final movie so it's like yes her presence is everywhere and you know we'll con- we will continue to advocate for more uh due diligence more responsibility more representation and and maintaining of representation that already exists new yeah. representation great but you also have to protect yeah and that was that i know we're wrapping up but that is i think one of the biggest takeaways where it's like if if like one of the only places queer people and people of color can exist is in novels and is in comics to erase that is 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 has a lot of weight to it and i don't i'm not totally sure that's understood like widely you know whether it's behind the doors of where it's being made or in the fandom like mm-hmm. if there is only one area in which marginalized communities can exist in star wars which shouldn't be the case at all to to take that away regardless of intention is is uh damaging yeah yeah i mean the thing that makes me the most upset about the whole situation is that it was so easy like it happened so easily it was it was like it was just too easy it was too easy to erase this queer person this queer person of color it would have been so easy to to not um, yeah it, yes like, if that was like you know it, even theoretically if it's, if the short was the same but the character models were like that's probably kidding then you get into the conversation of why did you reduce her role but that would have been i think a lesser evil yes um, and it yes was, yes and exactly so like, don't you know and and again like like you're saying chase and like you're saying i'm like it would have been so easy to protect this chase your point of if this is going to be the area novels comics novellas reference guides whatever everything in publishing that entire idea of let's let's water that you know tend to that and and make sure that it can grow and and i know a lot of people out there are like well well there's the acolyte so there's progress happening and you're right but it is but your your good deeds don't cancel out your your negative deeds Um, yeah it's like yeah you know we lost a queer woman of color in this short we gained one in andor 
but it's not like you know that's not how it works you know it's not not like minus it's not like as one supreme rises the other one falls we don't need that (laughs) yeah no it's yeah it's not a uh it's not a balancing act there's no scale it's like no it should just be more we have a queer woman of color in andor we had a confession of love between these two women on screen i still would like i would like to be explicit for the people that maybe don't pay as much attention and that's you know Mm. at the time of this recording andor is not done we'll see um but that was a huge step acolyte being led by a queer woman co-developed by a black woman led by a black non-binary performer like that's the stuff we want to see but at the same time that should also be a widespread standard and acolyte should not be okay that'll be the one you know you don't (laughs) want that attitude either so yeah uh it's a nuanced conversation but i think as we're wrapping up even in this one the hardest one there were still some things to enjoy, some things to unpack, mm-hmm. some things to process, and to loop it all the way back in with part one with Brian. I know, obviously, we had Brian for half of this. We had M for half of this. But this idea of processing M is something we talked about at the beginning. And to close out, I would love your thoughts on it. We're in a time now where it's like you have to have your take now, and it must be your take, and it must be complete, and it must be solid, and you must stand by it forever. And we don't really have time to think. And how do you feel sort of about the idea of fandom and just saying, hey, sometimes you just need to unpack things and it might take a long time? Yeah, I think people need to get less invested in being right all the time. And I think we need to get more comfortable with making mistakes, being wrong, being open to other perspectives. When we give an opinion, give it with humility and with you know willingness to listen. But on the other hand, you know, other people have a responsibility to create a space where we're safe in doing those things. I think I think we could all use to treat each other with respect and kindness, and empathy, and to start with a spirit of openness because like I just I'm allergic to bad faith. It gives me hives. I can't deal with it. So I don't. <laughs> That's the other thing is that you can always just opt out, just stop talking. You know, sometimes I get into discussions online and I get over in over my head. So I just stop talking. Or sometimes somebody <laughs> will challenge me or somebody will challenge me or try to argue with me. And I'm just like, I'm not arguing. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, you know, you can just put your phone down. Yeah. You, know, you don't have to like not you don't have to respond to everything. And not everything is worth a response. You know, like, again, like I said about bad faith, you know, if somebody's approaching you in bad faith, you don't have to choose to engage with them. You can just leave them hanging. You know, nobody's going to die over that. I adore you, Em. I really do. Just the, I, first of all, I'm gonna get the. Thank you. I'm allergic to bad faith. It gives me hives. That's going on. That's gotta be a shirt or a sticker or something. Um, but the yeah, I mean, it, that's you beautifully echoed a lot of what I've been thinking and feeling. And, and Chase, you verbalized this. I can't remember if it was on air or off air, but like sometimes the, the ability to just say I'm not gonna comment on that one is yeah. It doesn't make you someone, and I think that's part of it. Is we're in a culture where it's like. Where, why didn't you say anything about X topic? And it's like, because I only had so much emotional bandwidth that day. Yeah, or or I didn't yeah. even see it, or I saw it, and I just am having a personal experience with it, and that's and you and it's like the internet makes people feel not valid to have personal experiences with things, but we need to fight against that, and people should be able to have private experiences. Oh yeah, 
and normalize and like I this is unrelated issue but earlier this year someone on Twitter said I noticed you didn't say anything about X and my response was we're not playing the who's done more good game mm-hmm. we're not pl- like yeah, I'm, no. I'm waiting for information to come out I'm waiting for perspectives and and I will say this is not to pat myself on the back at all I want to make that clear but I had a Twitter thread that I wrote that was about myth and canonicity and fallibility and Tolkien connections and a bunch of stuff and then Andy who I love, they were responding from the perspective of the queer erasure element. And I was like, I didn't even think about that when I was writing this because that's mm. not my experience. So I, I took it down and now, and you know what? And now Andy and I are planning an episode that's going to be it. all about that's so great. both sides of that whole thing. And, and Andy, yeah. for the record, was not coming at me. They were just saying, hey, also this. And yeah. then I mm-hmm. reached out to Andy. We had a conversation and I said, hey, I'm going to take that down because I don't want people to think I'm ignoring that. They were like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Then we start to come into this this idea of how we can have multiple conversations at once. So just be, and, yeah. be cool with each other. Yeah. And like pluralism, like like just things can exist. Things can exist at the same time. There, like, There's many layers to many things. And that's as intelligently as I can put it at this hour. <laughs> and, and I, I think that's a beautiful note to close out on. So unless anyone has anything to say about Ahsoka or Dooku or anything in the way they connect, I think we did a... I, my original plan was we'll do one character and then one character and then how they are connected. I feel like we ended up doing that the entire time that's but, but that's what tales of the jedi did so well it's like we our conversation reflected what the story did which is like they just there's constant interweaving of of those two characters yeah can't talk about one without talking about the other at some point i would love to have pink milk all of you return uh, and we can come up with some fun tales of the jedi pairs that we'd love to see down the road it would be a fun conversation so for right now why don't you all let everybody know and we'll start with you where they can find you and what you're doing and uh yeah anything that they that you would like them to engage with. Find me on Twitter at Hatslaya, H-U-T-T-S-L-E-I-A, ship who you want, all ships are valid. And you can find me on YouTube, That Gay Jedi on YouTube. You can find me on Twitter at underscore That Gay Jedi or uh, the Fear of Queers podcast. Wonderful, wonderful. Love that. And then of course, both of you feature on the Pink Milk Steam Rooms, which are now Wednesday evenings, correct? Wednesday's evening at 9 p.m. Eastern. I believe, I believe, I mean, I'm not on the show. That's right, 9 p.m. Eastern, (laughs) I was waiting for him to confirm. <laughs> 9 p.m. Eastern. 9 p.m. Eastern, that is right. Yes. And then uh, Brian, of course, uh, had to leave after the first segment, but at Serving Pink Milk is Pink Milk the show. So if you are interacting with that account, it's Brian. It's Brian being a dad, <laughs> leaving his red receipts on like a fool. Um, but we love him. Uh, so yeah, and also on Instagram as well, Serving Pink Milk on Instagram. And then for me personally, you can find this show everywhere you get your podcasts on Octo Radio, A-H-C-H-T-O Radio. If you're on Apple or Spotify, leave stars, leave reviews. It goes a long way to helping us fight the ghoulish and, and dark double-bladed lightsaber algorithms that uh, we all have to fight to uh, get our shows any sort of traction. And then uh, personally, at that Alden Diaz, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I haven't left Twitter yet. We'll see how that goes, friends. But that Alden Diaz is uh, where you can find me. And that's uh, all of my personal musings podcast stuff. T-H-A-T-A-L-D-E-N-D-I-A-Z. I recently wrote for StarTrek.com. Hoping to do some of that again in the future, depending on how certain things work out. But I love that team. And then also on Casterly Talk with Ken Napsok, talking about uh, A Song of Ice and Fire, Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon, as well as Lord of the Rings. And that will also be where we'll be talking about Willow, the other Lucasfilm thing to get excited about this month so for right now for me for pink milk for ahsoka and yes even for dooku we will catch you next time punch it chewy